a playlist original. She is seductive. She is passionate. She is Christine. A 1958 Plymouth Fury with a taste for blood. Nothing you can do can stop her. Because how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Christine. Body by Plymouth. Soul by Satan. Rated R. Watch out for her soon at a theater near you. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Blockbuster with your host, Gaius and Jackson. We are recording on Sunday, December 10th, which is very, very uh, uncommon for us. I, we, I think we've done it a handful before, of times. Maybe. Okay. Maybe not that many. Okay. Oh, I don't know. It, maybe. Well, I know, I know I've done it. We've done it for other people's shows for sure. Yes. Maybe um, that's what I'm, yeah, thinking. I think in the, I think in the early, early days of the, of you being on we did one like right before i think the oscar nominations came out or or was it the oscar telecast it was one of them right we did something on a sunday and we like did like predictions and then uh so we can actually get that out so sunday's not a bad day because usually usually i am out on sundays i actually haven't gone out the last three sundays which has made uh made my friends think that something's like (laughs) wrong and they're like touching my forehead they're like are you sick what's wrong with you uh, but it, it's been nice not to, you know, go out right. on Sunday after, you know, very long weekend. I don't know if it's like that right now for you guys, but just like the holiday parties have already started here. Uh, okay. We had that whole like 12 bars of Christmas thing on Friday. Yep. That was and, last week for us. Yeah. And yeah. A friend, friend had a Christmas party uh, yesterday and that was a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and then we got more Christmas parties this week and then my birthday is a week from today right that's right and so there's gonna be a combination of that and more christmas parties so i have like a ton of christmas accessories uh sweater shirts that get a good workout during this time of year yeah definitely i have like <laughs> one christmas sweater to my name and it's bud light themed that's just okay. to compare. but no it's very sundays are very sleepy over here i mean i guess in my demographic like i'm a monday to friday worker so we're usually gearing down getting ready for the week ahead and it's a great day actually it's a great um day of the week for me to get a couple flicks in like i was able to do today um but for this one that we're chatting today i got in on a saturday in the middle of the day or actually no it was more towards the evening but it was on the actual 40th anniversary of christine's release which rarely ends up being the case like actually for me anyway seeing a movie on its actual anniversary even though we cover lots of anniversaries it felt very just very right and i was happy to pay respects to a movie that i really hold dearly and from someone who i love like john carpenter it, it just felt awesome yeah i watched it uh i watched it today actually soon, okay like, nice pretty Fresh much pretty much before we got on uh for this uh like when you i think when you told me like i'm good in an hour and a half i was like 20 minutes into it oh okay sweet that's perfect i was like that's perfect amount of time uh um, yeah so yeah, it was it was definitely a fun rewatch. I I told you offline I haven't watched it in years, like more than could you could you ballpark it? Okay, they were wow. ten. Yeah, so I've been a, a really long time, and I don't know why it hadn't been like a go to like during September October movie for me because I was like I was watching it today. I was like, oh, this is like really good. It's like yeah, it has some cheesy moments for sure. Like it's yeah, definitely a product of its time, but it also had some really really cool like visual cues in it oh my god yeah i also love even though it's not like up there with like his best scores i love the score for the movie too it's like pretty understated and good for like the right movie itself i put it up yeah right below like halloween and the thing like up there it feels very character-esque but not maybe quite as memorable as those two movies but on par for sure i love the score in this movie yep sure and uh 
actually some good acting too from like uh, some of the leads, at least particularly the lead uh, actor is really good. And it's like probably much Great. better than uh, uh, you would expect from, you know, an 80s horror movie of this type. Yeah. And there was some good, like kind of like real good character moments where I was like looking at it where it, you know, it felt more intelligent than it had any right to be in how uh, it was depicting uh, this kind of like transformation of Artie, um, you know, coinciding with you know, the possession of the car and all that. I was like, this feels a lot deeper than this shit for yeah. a horror movie, a horror movie from 1983. Right. Well, <laughs> um, that's what Carpenter was so good at, right? Like he did eight movies this decade and all of which are fantastic in their own right. But like Christine to me feels like a little bit different. I don't know what it is about it. It's a standout for me, obviously amongst greats, like, like the thing in Prince of Darkness, it just has such a charm to it. And I think maybe that part of that is that it's, you know, an adaptation of the great Stephen King's work that might have something yeah. to do with it like that guy just you know can write a horror horror piece so i think you know with those two greats collaborating it's bound to be a memorable time yeah i mean like the stuff i was reading like before we got on to kind of like look up you know whatever behind the scenes stuff i could find is that mm -hmm. even even the writer for the movie like when they presented it to him was like thought the premise was just like ridiculous he was like you really want you really want me to like tackle a movie about a car that is like possessed and starts killing people and then he read the book which i, I they, they took some liberties with we'll probably talk about uh in the movie sure but he he said he was halfway through the book and he was like oh this is so much better than i thought it would be because it really is more about this this kind of transformation coinciding with the, this guy and the car going together exactly and, and all yeah. that and you know it's not if you, you could really make a dumb movie about a killer car for sure. Oh, yeah, I've <laughs> done a million times, but yeah, <clears throat> this is far this from it. Far from it. Yeah, I yeah, I, there's a lot to really like about it that we're gonna get into. But um, mm -hmm. we didn't want to leave you guys hanging on uh, the award season stuff because we we're kind of in the middle of that too. And I know Just we started, mentioned, yeah. Uh, yeah, some things on our uh, last episode, uh, and we did say like you know. Full disclosure, like you know, we we are cranking out a lot of episodes. Uh, God, pretty much this week, <laughs> like the next. Yeah, we're gonna days. be seeing a lot of each other uh, <laughs> in the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah, this probably yeah. the most uh, Jackson I have seen each other uh, since starting this. Uh, Definitely. Uh, you know, you know, through the uh, you know the camera and all that, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we're tr we're gonna try to stay as topical as we can, especially with the award season stuff, because we know that is mm -hmm. uh, important for you guys listening. And uh, when we can sneak it into some of these episodes that are going to be premiering between now and, you know, pretty much the new year, we will do that as well as we can. Right. Uh, thankfully, thankfully, so far, uh, it's been uh, relatively like there hasn't been like a ton of news and it's mostly just the award season stuff. So that is uh, makes it a lot easier for us yeah. to kind of do that. Um, but first, I guess we will talk about the National Board of Review. A lot of people were waiting for uh, them to reveal uh, their picks uh, for particularly best film because, you know, sometimes it does coincide with Oscar. Not all the time, but sometimes it does. Okay. And the National Board of Review uh, named Killers of the Flower Moon their best film. Uh, and that was the second major awards honor for the film uh, uh, this particular week after it won the top prize from the New York Film Critics Circle. Uh, Scorsese was also picked as National Board of Review's Best Director. Lily Gladstone repeated her uh, New York Film Circle win by being named Best Actress for the film as well. Uh, so that is a very significant amount mm. of awards uh, for uh, good old Killers of the Flower Moon. That it also, momentum, yeah. 
it also scored uh in best cinematography which i i mean it, it, it i've seen it listed with well that was a good fit <laughs> <laughs> okay i was surprised not what i was expecting i mean i love that movie. i thought it was shot beautifully but i didn't i wouldn't even like have it in my top five that oh. just surprising face <laughs> well yeah. you know what yeah you know what yeah when i've seen it listed for other people it's been like either they're like number five number six or something like that so it mm-hmm. is listed for certain sure. people but i was kind of shocked that it uh uh it won there um but the rodrigo uh Prieto, who did the cinematography, also won uh, for uh, production work on uh, production design work on Barbie. So uh, good okay. uh, job for him. Um, other uh, national board winners announced today: uh, Alexander Payne's The Holdovers won in three categories. Paul Giamatti won Best Actor for the National Board of Review. Nice. Divine Joy Randolph won for Best Supporting Act- uh, Actress, and David uh, Hemingson won for his Best Original Screenplay. That has been hopping. This movie's moved up a lot. You'll yes. see in the other the other things we're going to mention right now, right after this. So its chances seem pretty high that it will be nominated for a significant amount of Oscars unless something crazy happens. Um, I got no problems uh, with that. That movie was fantastic. I don't either. And actually, the more I thought about it since we've done our episode, the more I've started to like it. Yeah. Uh, so As yeah. So during impact. Yeah, a bit. Like I talked about it with a friend who saw it, um, and then listened to our episode after they saw it, and they. Uh, he loved it so much that it might be his number one or number two movie. And he was like you. Oh, where 2023. He, okay. Yeah. And he, he was like you where he was Oppenheimer all the way. Like he's been, yeah. he was right. That, he was right in that train uh, all the way until November, I guess, till he saw or yes, December for him when he saw the holdovers. And now right. he can't decide whether it's going to be that okay. or Oppenheimer. He's like, he still has to think about it. Um, uh, best adapted screenplay went to Tony McNamara for Poor Things. I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to. I can't I heard wait. it's really. <laughs> I, I heard it's really weird, but really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, expecting that from Yorgos Lanthimos, but I've heard like more like controversial takes about that movie that got me really intrigued to see. Um, nothing that I really expect is going to be that controversial. I think people are. Yeah, sort of I think for things, I think somebody but... prudish critics are being like, oh, yes. So this and like yeah or, or it's needless just, to know, say horrible. very excited for that movie <laughs> i am uh kind of uh putting a interesting wrinkle in the best supporting actor race mark ruffalo for that movie poor things won best supporting actor for the national Attaboy, mark. review that's awesome so that's cool um and then the top films for the national board review uh of course kill so i one best picture but uh there are other films that they acknowledge were the holdovers poor things barbie uh the boy and the heron which is a uh Japanese animated Piao Miyazaki. Blue. Yes, I'm yeah. supposed to see that this week, which, actually. Yeah. Which was number one at the box office today. Uh, surprising. A good uh, time for those kind of movies. That was number one today. And we won't really get to mention box office, but Godzilla Minus One only dropped 27% in its second weekend. Whoa, that's uh, $8.3 million. Dollars. So they, I want to spo- see that so bad here. I know, I do too. It's, I it was supposed to come. end its uh, North America run in, on December 7th, but they saw how well it was received, so they extended it. I don't know how far but they should extend it throughout december if it's that would be nice sadly well. it doesn't look like it's playing at my local cinema which is very disappointing but i will be looking for that whenever it comes to whatever streaming service because that movie has been like a surprise shocker i think from out of nowhere yeah i think yeah. so too yeah mm-hmm. um and then other movies listed in their uh, top 10 ferrari the iron claw maestro and oppenheimer and then uh they gave uh for uh International film, Anatomy of a Fall, which you're probably going to see a lot of the two as yep. well. And Best Documentary went to Still, a Michael J. Fox movie, which also uh, nice. earned a lot of uh, uh, critical acclaim when, when it came out as well. So that mm-hmm. is the 
National Board of Review. Uh, but for good frame of reference, uh, they named Top Gun Maverick their best film. Uh, and that didn't turn into a best picture win, but it did get nominated for best picture. Um, right. So it doesn't always uh, link up, but sometimes right. it does. So we will see. Uh, they're giving out their awards on January. Uh, so formally giving out their awards on January 11th in a proper ceremony, though. Okay. So we uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I I actually think the the choices that they picked, like at for the exception of Ferrari, which kind of has been left out of most conversations lately, mm-hmm. um, it it seems pretty much like in line, I guess, with what we're expecting. Uh, and in a good way, I mean, like, you know, the, you know, they're acknowledging movies like the holdovers or Barbie, of course, some people that are so angry that it's not, it's definitely getting a best picture nomination. I think it's, you think so? Yeah. Is there, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it is. Um, you know, what, what awards it's going to win is a totally different story. I think it's got too much competition, uh, overall to really, it's been a massive year, right? Like, I don't think there's very many guarantees when it comes to the academy awards definitely guarantee nominations like several movies but i really think for a lot of significant categories it's going to be down to several movies yeah i believe so yeah. too um and also announcing their nominees were the uh the Astros awards for film and creative arts this was formerly the hollywood critics association awards and i got to vote for these so some of my picks actually oh, made cool. the cut and I get to actually go to the ceremony on January 6th. So that will oh, be sweet. F- a fun, interesting thing for us to possibly this, cover. <laughs> really that is super in, neat. In-person uh, kind of thing. Uh, so uh, I'll do some of the So best cinematography. They nominated John Wick Chapter 4, Killers of the Flower Moon. Again, they nominated Maestro, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Saltburn. Okay, um, I wanted to hear Saltburn for cinematography because when you had mentioned that Killers had yeah, won for... I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm and I Saltburn, I, man. Yeah, I was uh, I was shocked that it's. I'm actually, you know, I I'm st- we'll see what the Golden Globes do tomorrow because yeah. I feel like they're going to be like it's major. I I think as we keep calling him, our boy Barry might get an Oscar nomination possibly because he's pop- he's been popping up a lot too. But I feel I, like they're going to leave the film out as a whole in several big categories, and, I, I and probably because it's so divisive. But you know. Yeah, and it's, you know, you can argue that there's a lot of other great contenders and uh, other than the best picture category, you're limited to five movies. So that, I guess, is sort of an excuse. But I mean, that movie, I think, deserves a lot of awards attention. But I would love to be able to cover that. So we get the Golden Globe nominations uh, on Monday. Yeah, Yeah, in the the morning. Yeah, bright and early. Very Uh, excited. I'll be looking at that instead of doing work. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be part of my work. So there you go. There you Uh, go. Lucky you. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Best costume design, Barbie, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, Poor Things, Killers of the Flower Moon, and The Color Purple. Uh, best, best best, Best editing, Anatomy of a Fall, John Wick Chapter 4. Kills of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and The Holdovers. Uh, yeah, you're going to see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse popping up in other big categories too, which is kind of... Good. I, I thought they were just going to acknowledge it in the you know, the animated categories, but they... I, they it's, it's very clear that they're like, this was one of the best movies of the year and not yeah, just... I completely best agree. Animated. It's my so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Best original song, Barbie Got Two, What I Was Made For, uh, by Billie Eilish, and I'm Just Ken, which I think if it gets of nominated course. for if it gets nominated for Best Original Song, because at the Oscars they perform those usually live at the ceremony. So I'm like wondering if Ryan Gosling will actually <laughs> perform it live at the that ceremony. That would be pretty on- funny. Yes. 
Um, also, uh, Dance Tonight, also from Barbie by Dua Lipa. So three of their songs. Um, Holy. And, and then Peaches from the Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, which was a big uh, original song from that movie. Uh, it became a big TikTok thing as well. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it, if Barbie loses any one of those, that'd be really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it has three chances to win. Such a yeah, high probability. Um, another interesting one, best publicity campaign. So this is like marketing campaign. Barbie, John Wick Chapter 4. For that? Yeah, uh, Barbie, uh, John Wick Chapter 4, Megan, Oppenheimer, the Super Ooh. Mario Brothers movie, and Wonka. Um, why I, Wonka? I, I feel like Barbie and Oppenheimer should win this combined. I, combined yeah, effort. I completely agree. That's like an unprecedented, and it seems like that marketing was like an unprecedented, at least to this scale, uh, yeah. marketing campaign strategy for a long time. I think Megan is a nice nomination though, because that movie, yeah, and they kind of had a viral, viral yeah. campaign too that really worked. Still um, have not snuck that watching yet this year, but um it's on my it's so crazy that it came out almost a year ago like i yeah. saw it in january like yeah it, and i liked it i mean i definitely didn't hate it at all it was it was a pretty entertaining horror movie mm-hmm. uh but yeah it kind of came and made its money and you know dip <laughs> pretty much <laughs> yeah um uh best score elemental uh killers of the flower moon oppenheimer poor things Saltburn, and spider-man across the spider-verse all got nominated uh for best original score um I'm I'm just saying this now. Uh, it, I'm I've been rooting for Oppenheimer's score since mm. I saw the movie. I have so, three songs on my scores playlist that I routinely listen to from that movie. See? So for me, that's absolutely my vote. Um, I agree, and I that is I think that is the one I I believe of all the ones that listed that will probably win. Uh, best really visual effects: Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Mission Impossible. Dead Reckoning Part One, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, The Creator. Now, the interesting thing about the visual effects thing is that Oppenheimer got nominated here, but it was left out of the pre nominations for the Oscars for Best Visual Effects, which I, uh, people were upset about. Yeah, but they made it well, they made a big deal when they were promoting the movie that it didn't really have a ton of visual effects shots in it well, they were they were saying promoting it as having zero right zero zero yeah. so like then then i i wasn't too shocked that the oscars left them out of that but you know other nomination bodies didn't so i mean i guess well, that's nice at least yeah i guess it, it depends um let's see best horror feature evil dead rise knock at the cabin megan no one will save you scream six and talk to me throwing all my weight behind talk to me even though i did love some of the other ones in here I um, agree too. I saw that list actually earlier and talked to me was the clear standout. Most of the other of the ones that I've seen, I think there's two that I haven't I didn't see. No one will save you. And I forget what the other one is there that I didn't see. Oh, Megan. Then, Megan. Or, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You saw Knock at the Cabin, right? Yeah, exactly. On the, yeah, yeah, of yeah. those other ones, most of like, although I enjoyed them overall, like most were uh, like slight disappointments. So talk to me was one that I thoroughly loved. So yeah, agreed. Um, best first feature. I love that they like a few of these people give this out for best first movie. A thousand and one, which I hear is really good. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Joyride. I just saw that two weeks ago. It was very funny. Uh, Past Lives is another thing I haven't seen, but it's oh, a big okay. award season movie too. Yeah, on my list. Uh, Fair Play. So that's, I'm glad I got a, a nod, a nod somewhere uh, for best first feature. And American Fiction, which I also haven't seen. Also heard really good things about it as well. Yep. Saw the trailer ahead uh, of something recently and i thought it was really slick uh best animated feature uh the boy and the heron uh elemental nimona spider-man across the spider-verse and uh zoo 
Suzumi. Um, Suzumi Spider-Man. Uh, well, you know, I'm not gonna. Uh, Born the Heron, I think will be Heron, good. I, I just saw, yeah. It's if, like if heralded as Seao Miyazaki's like big swan song. I think that is, if not for Spider-Man being as amazing as it was, I would almost say it's a lock. But yeah, I guess we'll time will tell. All right, here's some of the bigger ones: best original screenplay, Air, uh, An Enemy of a Fall, Barbie, Past Lives, Saltburn, and The Holdovers. Um, okay. Good little uh, group there. Adapted screenplay: American Fiction, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, Killers of the Flower Moon. Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay, um, Oppenheimer, I think it's a really bag. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it is too. Uh, Killers of the Farm, I feel like it's a real competition there, but... Uh, yeah. Or maybe Poor Things, I don't know. I have to see Poor Things too, so we'll see. Um, best Director, so this... Uh, the oh, Creative Alliance does up to 10 directors, so this was oh, like nice. a big... Uh, well, this was a controversial choice amongst some of the people. I... I've only saw it on Twitter from other people that are in the group that thought that's too many. And then some people were like, it's perfect because more to choose from. I don't know where you stand on 10 directors, but I thought it was fine. Um, but Alexander Payne for the holdovers, Ben Affleck for air, Bradley Cooper for uh, Maestro, Celine song for past live. Also her first movie. So that's on that. quite the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer, Cord Jefferson for American fiction. Emerald Fennell for Saltburn, Greta Gerwig for Barbie, Martin Scorsese for Kills of the Flower Moon. And I do not know, is it Yorgos Lanthimos? Lanthimos, yeah. Lanthimos, yeah. there we go, for nice. poor things. So a lot of great people in that category, though. Um, yeah. I really want to throw my point behind <laughs> Nolan because, like, he just needs that recognition, but that is a strong, strong year and a lot of competition he's up against. Marty, I think, too, will be another big one. Yeah. Uh, best cast ensemble: Air, Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, The Color Purple, and The Holdovers. Um, in the acting categories: Best Supporting Actress, America Ferrera for Barbie. This is one of the first bigger nominations that she's gotten. She's kind of like a dark horse, but she could sneak in. Uh, she okay. has like a monologue in the movie that uh, is her like, her moment, right? Uh, that uh, they probably would nominate her for if if there's room for her. Uh, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple. I actually just got my screener for this in my email today. Um, but I've heard great things about the acting especially. Um, and not surprised to hear some of these names from The Color Purple. Uh, Divine Joy Randolph, again, for The Holdovers. Julianne Moore for May, May December. Uh, Rachel McAdams for Are You There, Margaret? Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And Viola Davis for Air. See, some people aren't forgetting Air. Uh, others... I guess did. not. Yeah. Uh, I guess it depends. Uh, best Supporting Actor, Charles Melton for May, December. Coleman Domingo for The Color Purple. Dominic Sessa for The Holdovers. Good on him. First movie. Uh, Glenn Howerton for Blackberry. Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. And Ryan Gosling for Barbie. I feel like it's another tough group as well. Uh, best Actress, Carrie Mulligan for uh, Maestro. Emma Stone for Poor Things. Fantasia Barino for The Color Purple. Greta Lee for Past Lives. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. And Margot Robbie for Barbie. Um, our boy Barry for Best Actor for Saltburn. Uh, nice. Bradley Cooper for Maestro. Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Coleman Domingo for Rustin. Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. And Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. And in the Best Picture category, we have Air... American Fiction, Barbie, The Color Purple, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay, that must and be a full 10, is it? It has a full 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, and the ceremony will take place on January 6th 
Saturday at 6.30 p.m. And I will be there. Nice. So, uh, so that's another... Again, I feel like you're seeing, hearing a lot of the same names <laughs> yeah. and all that, but... <clears throat> I even feel uh, that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're like, uh, cool. <laughs> but... But I mean, but I, get, I think it kind of like puts in perspective, like because National Board Review didn't really mention much about the color purple. Some of these other groups aren't going to mention it either. Some people haven't. Mm-hmm. Some people saw it late because I know they started doing screenings late, later than some of the other movies. Um, but people that did start to see it was like, you know, that is going to be one to beat. And because you know, especially the Academy does love a big, dramatic musical, and that is what it is. Is an adaptation right. of the Broadway musical, so it has a pretty big shot of claiming some big awards. Um, the Boston film critics, of course, is this a little biased, but they named best picture, uh, the holdovers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair uh, enough. uh, their runners up were the zone of interest and in May December. Oh. May December is another one. I think is going to like be another sneaky, big awards contender too. Yeah. Um, best director went to Jonathan Glazer for them for the zone of interest. Uh, okay, it's so that strange that like that particular like in like uh, I don't know what you call it film association. Critics, you say the yeah, Boston yeah. Film Critics okay, giving yeah, so yeah. much love to Zone of Interest because I've heard I've seen the couple trailers that have been released, but have heard yeah. nothing in the way of uh, praise. Or I didn't until I haven't I haven't heard anything until this. So yeah. when this popped this up, I was like, oh, first movie in ten years since yeah. uh, Under the Skin, to, right? Yeah, and I need yeah. to see it. Uh, yeah, runners up. Oh no, uh, zone of interest. Oh, oh, like, okay, uh, okay, nice. I uh, runners up for best director Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer and Todd Haynes for May December. Uh, best actor went to Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers. Uh, runners up Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Uh, okay, that's the only one there. And then best actress Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. I think you're seeing a trend with her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> she seems to be the front runner. Yeah, I got a lot of momentum going into the uh, bigger awards. Uh, runners up Emma Stone for Poor Things and Natalie Portman for May December. Uh, best supporting actor Ryan Gosling for Barbie. That's his first significant win of the awards. He's in, been okay. nominated, had one. Uh, runners up Charles Melton for May December, Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. Best supporting actress Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. There were no runners up, so I guess they thought she was like the, <laughs> the okay. one to beat. Uh, best ensemble went to Oppenheimer and runners up nice. were Asteroid, Asteroid City, The Iron Claw, and Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, best adapted screenplay, Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest. Runners up, uh, uh, Kelly Freeman and Craig, uh, Kelly Freeman Craig for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and Eric Roth and Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon. Best original screenplay, David. Can you see that the Boston film critics really love the holdovers? David Hemmingson for the holdovers won best original screenplay. Uh, runners up were Sammy Birch for May December, and uh, also Nicole Hello Fisiner for You Hurt My Feelings, uh, which is a movie with Julia Lee Drivers. I did not see, but oh, okay, I had not even heard of that one. Best new filmmaker, Celine Song for Past Lives. Cool, nice. Uh, Best cinematography uh, went to The Taste of Things, and Oppenheimer wasn't even a runner-up. Uh, okay. Poor Things in Asteroid City. Um, best original score, Robbie Robertson for Kills of the Flower Moon, and runner-up, uh, Mika Levi for The Zone of Interest. And okay. best animated best animated film, The Boy and the Heron, runners-up, nice. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Meet and Mayhem, Spider-Man <laughs> Across the Spider-Verse, Robot Dreams, and The Peasants. I haven't heard of The Peasants or Robot Dreams. Uh, so that was the Boston Film Critics. It's I, I 
not surprised that they threw their weight behind the New England movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, fair enough. But, well, I mean, you got a uh, movie in there directed by a very famous Bostonite with Ben Affleck and Air. So that's oh, that's, that's true. That's really you know true. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you were. I don't even know if Bostonite is a word. I don't know if that's what Bo- are they Bostoners. I don't <laughs> I, know. But that's what I'm it going. It sounded you said it so convincingly. I'm just going to go with. Okay, it. Okay. Well, thanks. It's, but, but it's Ben sounds, Affleck. It's kind of yeah, legit. Um, now the Los Angeles Film Critics Association they just finished revealing all of their winners. Uh, best Picture Zone of Interest. Oh my runner, goodness! Yeah, no runner up Oppenheimer. Best Director Jonathan Glazer the Zone of Interest. Uh, runner up Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things. Uh, best Leading Performance because so they separate they don't separate theirs by male or female. It's okay. neutral. So uh, that's different. Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall and The Zone of Interest. She's in both. <laughs> and oh, Emma Stone no. and, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Uh, runners up were Andrew Scott for All of Us Strangers, which I heard is also really good. And Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Supporting performances, Rachel McAdams, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And Devi Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Runners up. So this was controversial. They put Lily Gladstone in supporting for Killers of the Flower Moon. Ooh, and she okay. was a runner up, runner up, and then also another runner up was Ryan Gosling, Barbie. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because there are some people that are like, she is, they, they determine supporting by like a few different things. It's either you're not really a lead unless your character drives the story. And then okay. sometimes they'll say that you're a supporting, you're since you're really the only lead supporting actress, you're supporting the lead actor in the story. Right. Like, uh, Viola, De- Viola Davis famously did that for Fences, where there's only right. two leads. But she went supporting, and that's how she won. Of course, right. she was great in it, but that but there was less competition in yeah. supporting that year. I think that's an but interesting how- discussion to be had because I was recently watching um, some YouTubers' takes on this, and he was breaking down different uh, examples of this throughout like recent memory of actors and actresses putting their weight behind a supporting or a lead category based on their performance. And this is something that I had never really considered before, but. Um, I don't know. I feel like there should be criteria that should be met for you to go into either category lead or supporting that. And right. cause I feel like it's a little bit like, I think there's something to be said about like, if you have a clear leading performance, but you feel like your best chances of winning the award are by going into an arguably weaker category, like supporting that, is that fair? Yeah. I don't know. I think there should be criteria. That's just my uninformed opinion at, based on the first time being asked this, but do you think differently or do you think it doesn't matter? I, I think I agree with you. And then in the case of the Los Angeles film critics, I think they looked at it and thought and felt that she was more supporting than lead and, and gave it to and made her a okay. runner up. She didn't even, and she didn't even win. Right. Um, but she's the female lead. She's in the, in movie, the movie quite a bit. Yeah. 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 And she doesn't have like a, it's not a small amount of screen time. I, I would even say it's supporting screen time. So like it's, I would, I would consider her lead. I mean, I don't, I, I know that for the Oscars, uh, and the, all the major awards, I know she pushed herself for lead, so they that's where they're okay going for it. But yeah, a lot of people were complaining about this online today that they the Los Angeles film just viewed her as hmm. supporting rather than a lead. Um, I mean, probably feeling that Leonardo DiCaprio is the lead and he drives the story, but I, yeah, I don't know. Well, if different critic associations have different criteria, what they consider a lead or supporting, I'm fine with that. It doesn't have to be standardized throughout the industry, but I think that each individual you know, uh, 
association that's giving out awards should have clearly defined criteria. And, you know, obviously if that is the case, different performances might fall into different categories based on that criteria. But I, yeah. I don't necessarily think it needs to be standardized, but um, I think there should be some guidelines. Like if you have an hour plus, well, I guess in the case of Lily Gladstone, she, I don't haven't counted her minutes on screen, but I'm guessing it's quite significant. Nothing about it. Even the performance feels like it's a supporting. Yeah. It's, arguably supporting leo's character but it's very much the female lead yeah but i, I agree mean, i don't you know i don't doesn't rug me the Wrong one way, way or another yeah, yeah exactly but interesting discussion to be had for sure i guess i'll be interested to see if there's any standouts come the academy awards nominations yeah but that'd be interesting yeah for sure mm -hmm. and you know and then tomorrow you'll we'll see i'm sure she's gonna be in the lead lead actress for a drama i'm sure uh, she category too, yeah, yeah. Um, best screenplay Andrew Hay for All of Us Strangers, runner up Sammy Birch for Main December. Uh, best cinematography, sorry, Robbie, Robbie Ryan for Poor Things, runner up uh, Rodrigo Prieto for Killers of the Flower Moon and Barbie. Uh, best editing, uh, went to Anatomy of a Fall, runner up All of Us Strangers. Uh, well, I guess what you're seeing here, like they're really spreading it out across a lot of different movies, yeah, like different, like all these like different bodies are. Like I remember when I was when we were going into this, I was like, I feel like it's gonna be a Kills of a Flower Moon Oppenheimer kind of right main main race, and that seemed like it's kind of changed a little bit. I mean, their names are still de definitely much in it, but they there's all these other smaller movies that seem like they're right, which I I love not seeing too. just a mainstream race because there are so many other fantastic like smaller and even independent movies that definitely deserve their consideration so that's great on these associations for giving them recognition because it's not all it'd be boring to hear the same huge juggernaut movies at all the award seasons or shows so I yeah i agree um glazier getting love for um zone of interest that's i didn't expect to hear that mentioned so that's awesome now I want to like track it down and watch it. I I have <laughs> I a feeling it's going to be divisive. I've heard or seen, I read a couple early reviews that say nothing happens in it and it's boring oh. and dull. I mean, obviously there will be people that feel that way about it, but I'm very much excited for what that movie will be. Just knowing what Is I it, know about the premise, it seems dark. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, judging how most people kind of judge movies like that or poor things i was encouraged by the cinema score for poor things this weekend because they got an a minus oh so okay. usually usually movies like that when it's like when regular people see them they're like uh what was that <laughs> and yes. i was really i was i was encouraged by the a minus i was like oh like this might be have more like appeal than right maybe we thought yeah um, um that's that's good for that though because definitely i hate when <laughs> i hate when that happens we're like yeah i love the movie and it's like d have you seen <laughs> like, oh. have you seen any of uh yorgos lanthimos's other films they're all well yeah they're well two of them are weird um, yeah well the, I, I, they're all weird well the most the most main the one with the most mass appeal is the favorite the favorite it's, yeah yeah, yeah, movie, that, yeah. that kind of seems like oh anyone can watch that and be like all right yeah but even that i mean they're all kind of offbeat yeah for those who <laughs> don't are familiar uh his other movies are the killing of a sacred deer starring our boy barry too in a great yeah. great role and then the lobster which is hilarious that movie is so oddly awkwardly funny it's amazing but colin uh colin farrell gives a great performance in that movie yeah, too but yorgos lanthimos really in terms of like original filmmaking and storytelling i think is in a league of his own right now yeah yeah and like you know he's very much like what you <laughs> when you see that name you're like you know what you're getting so if you're going into one of his movies 
Yeah. Like so I so it was funny. Like when I saw the favorite, I was you know going in like, oh, it's gonna be just as weird, but fun. <laughs> As yeah. these other as these right. other two movies, right? And then when it was kind of like normal <laughs> uh, by, For him, by his yeah. by his standards, I was like, oh, all right, yeah, yeah. But I think you go in knowing like, oh, this might be a little offbeat and weird, but you exactly. like it because you know that's he, just who he is. He does not make movies for the casual or mainstream audience by any means. And by and it seems like he's found like a muse and like Emma Stone because like uh, mm-hmm. she's gonna I think I, she, she's gonna be in his next film that he's doing too, which is. Uh, really cool to hear i mean okay she nice apparently i mean he got her a best actress nomination uh or what can't remember if it was best actress or supporting actress for the favorite but she i was can't remember either it. yeah there's a but few yeah, uh performer performances yeah nominated uh nominated. olivia coleman olivia coleman ended up winning uh for that oh movie, did she oh, okay yeah. nice yeah uh and i can't remember i couldn't remember if she, i knew i thought she, i think she won lead but i can't remember if emma stone was also in lead or if she went supporting but uh either I way she was nominated either. for it right um, so the Atlanta, uh, film critics loved Oppenheimer. Uh, okay, they, nice. they, they, they named it their best film and, uh, their top films for the year were Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Holdovers, Past Lives, Barbie, May December, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, and Poor Things. Uh, lead actor went to Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer. Lead actress, Lee Glassstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Best supporting actor. It was a tie between Robert Downey Jr. and yeah, yeah. Between Robert, Dan- between Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer and Ryan Gosling for Barbie, uh, best supporting actress, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I feel like the Oscar is like hers. Uh, yeah, looks that <laughs> way. Yeah. Uh, best ensemble cast: Oppenheimer. Best director: Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Nice. Best screenplay: Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Uh, best documentary: Still a Michael J. Fox story. Best international feature: Anatomy of a Fall. Best animated film: Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Uh, best cinematography, finally one for Oppenheimer. Okay, <laughs> uh, beautiful. And best original score, Oppenheimer. And since they don't get enough credit, and they should, best stunt work, John Wick Chapter Four. Okay, awesome. love to see a stunt work um, uh, award. That's pretty sweet. I know there's been a lot of conversation in the last few years about adding an Academy Award for stunt work. I think that is an amazing um, idea. I, I, I surprised it's taken so long. Uh, to even can, like get one in like that we don't to be have a conversation one. right yeah yeah agreed it's, um and then there's only a couple more of these uh washington area film critics they named best their best picture american fiction uh the other okay. nominees were another nominees were barbie the holdovers oppenheimer and past lives best director they chose christopher nolan uh for best director best actor killian murphy for oppenheimer uh best actress lily glassstone for Killers of the flower moon uh, best supporting actor Charles Melton for May December. Uh, best supporting actress again Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Uh, best original screenplay Celine Song for Past Lives. Uh, best adapted screenplay Core Jefferson for American Fiction. Best animated feature Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Uh, and best international feature went to Anatomy of a Fall. Okay, yeah, that movie. Um, uh, Anatomy of a Fall. I'm expecting a lot of love for as well. I mean, got the coveted palm door at the con film festival earlier this year too so i was expecting yeah. to see i think seems like some mainstream appeal has wavered since because it came out so much earlier in the year but uh yeah i was expecting sort of like a, another like round like parasite at the 2019 oscars where we yeah, see yeah. like a foreign feature get a lot of love and maybe some wins but well we'll I kinda, see at this point i wouldn't be surprised if it pulled a parasite and was nominated for best 
international film and then also pulled a best picture nomination. Right. To I'd love to that, see, you know, at least some noms for it. You know, in the case of like Parasite, I ended up winning both of those, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that's where that's going with that movie that it could actually pull, depending on how many movies they nominate. If they do a full exactly, team. I think this is a year where you can go eight to ten easily. Yeah, yeah. this is probably uh, someone on, online was saying that they think this is like one of the better award seasons that we had. It's crazy because we almost didn't have it because of the strike, but uh, true, but they they think this is like one of the best uh, award seasons that we've had in a really long time just because it seems like the love is being spread amongst. Yeah. Some big movies and some like smaller like independent movies. Right. Uh, which is it's ni- the nice rise of the indie movie over the last couple of years, man, for sure, which is amazing. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and actually that was the last one. I thought there was one more. So that is the last one until the Golden Globes, which you'll be able to hear our uh reactions to those nominations uh in front of our home alone Mary Benjamin episode. Right. Uh, because we don't want to leave those out. That is one of the bigger award shows of the season. Mm-hmm. Um It'll be interesting. The Golden Globes they they pull some weird stuff sometimes because it's the it's, yeah. the wa- it's the it's the wacky award show of the bunch. Definitely, I mean, it, it's, like the... it's, it's it's the one where you can get drink and get drunk at. So yeah, they <laughs> get re- they get really special, and they're they're known for like wanting celebrities there, movie stars. So sometimes you'll hear nominations that are like you just wanted them to show up. Yeah, <laughs> like like. There's a period where like Julia Roberts would just get them for random stuff. Not not that she's a bad actress by any means, but right. she just pop up in something and they're like, oh, they just wanted her there. <laughs> I only watched a, a couple of Golden Globes in my day, but I might stick around. Depending on the nominations, I'll, I'll probably make kind of some time out to watch them this year. They're more fun than the Oscars. I mean, I well, the Oscars are fun, but the mm-hmm. Oscars have like a reputation for being kind of stuffy because it's like a formal Yeah, event. A, yeah. Um, I can see but, the... Yeah dynamic being much different golden globes are at like cocktail tables and they're yeah. all drinking champagne and it's like a little more loose so yeah so it comes off a little bit more fun but nice but yeah we'll uh we'll reveal those here during our home alone episode but for now we get to talk about the 40th anniversary of christine it's a 1983 american supernatural horror film directed by john carpenter and starring keith gordon john stockwell alexandra paul Robert Prosky and Harry Dean Stanton, uh, written by Bill Phillips and based on Stephen King's 1983 novel of the same name. The movie follows the changes in the lives of Arnie Cunningham, his friends, his family, and his teenage enemies after he buys a classic red and white 1958 Plymouth Fury named Pristine, a car that seems to have a mind of its own and a jealous, possessive personality, which has a bad influence on Arnie. This yeah. movie was <laughs> movie was released on December 9th, 1983, to generally positive reviews from critics, and it grossed $21 million on a $10 million budget, which is pretty good for 1983 and a horror movie in 1983. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll save some of this other stuff for the end because I was surprised, uh, not related to like the release, uh, okay, even like some future stuff that they were talking about, um, but. Yeah, you said you were fresh off a rewatch you did in September. Yeah, just in, in the vein of spooky season, I had seen Christine for the first time. It only was maybe the year previous or maybe at least maybe two years before, but semi-recently and uh, didn't really pay attention that I'd had this you know milestone anniversary later in the year. Otherwise, I probably would have saved that watch for now, but I threw it on late September as my second ever watch of it because I really, really was impressed with that the first time around. Cam put me on it. Uh, and just was thrilled with it. I, I love John Carpenter, and this is one that I had not seen uh, of his, or I'd only seen it once 
or until this year. So I wanted to get that rewatch in and I had absolutely no issue with getting it in, even though it would have been a couple months earlier. I uh, yeah. really enjoyed this, what was now my third rewatch of it. Um, but yeah, Christine is great. Like I mentioned too, one of eight movies he put out in, in that decade of the eighties, which is just insane to think about. Um, but yeah, he squeezed this one out in between or right after he was coming right after um, the thing. And I'm trying to think, I don't know if I know what came after this one. Um, uh, I can look at, I can like look it up for you and see what he did after. It's interesting too. Cause you know, it, cause um, you know, we love the thing now and it's considered a classic, uh, not only for its for practical effects, but it's also considered like one of his best movies. Either you're mm-hmm. naming Halloween or the thing, but right. the thing, but the thing flops when it came out in theaters. It did not That's right. make any money. No, and uh, he, uh, yeah, I read an interview looking up stuff for Christine where he took this the directing job for Christine because he felt like he needed to for his career because he was coming right. off a, a really big flop in the thing, and he was offered uh, Christine uh early on and then he was actually prepping to do firestarter uh mm, another, another Stephen king, Stephen king yeah. adaptation but then they saw how the thing did in theaters and <laughs> then they kind of took firestarter away from him and so he had time to do this one so he you know this was not a passion project for him more of a job yeah this was the, this was a job um but he you know, today thinks much more fondly of it today. Uh, nice. I think maybe he did at the time where it was like he all he did mention that it wasn't a hard movie to do. It was fairly straightforward. <laughs> um, you know, it's always interesting when someone talks about movies that you kind of really like, and he was like, "Yeah, you know, it was kind of like whatever, right?" Um, but oh, you know, John. it wasn't it wasn't like Halloween for him or anything like that, right? Um, it, you know, he, this wouldn't felt like, and I guess you can kind of tell because like you know, this wasn't like it feels like he was more of a hired hand uh mm-hmm. than something that he kind of developed on his own because you know he's directing something that he's that's adapted for someone else's work right and uh and he even though no that, writing credit on it right and even though the same is the case for like the thing because that's a you know a remake but yeah. i feel but like one he that he had, loved yeah he loved right so there was yeah. there was more passion involved in that but with Although, Christine, it, it was yeah. like you know it was a, a job i gotta say his score in this movie lends a lot of his personality to this movie where it makes me feel like it is truly a John Carpenter movie. And I don't look at, even though that might've been the case when he was making it, he, he took it and approached it as a job, something he needed to do while he was doubting his future in, you know, the movie making industry. I feel like, you know, his direction combined with his score just makes us such a quintessential John Carpenter movie. It's got it his really fingerprints does. all over it, regardless of how he felt when he was making it. Uh, it's one of my favorites, and it's I know that doesn't mean anything. I love John Carpenter. All of his movies are among my favorites, but it just has is a special he, place. Is he in your, like, top? Top directing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, and there's like still top, a few of like, his Like top 10? Ah, man, I might go more than that. You might, might top, okay. Might be, go, like... I haven't sat down and really broken that down. I was going to say top five. I, I, like, I I'm know. thinking about it, but... Uh, <laughs> He'd be up there, depending on the day, but top 10 easily. I love John Carpenter. Um, well, Jackson kind of mentioned just his run in the 80s, but I'll just start with what kicked him off. I mean, he had two movies before this, but Halloween in 78, and then 80, he does The Fog. 81, he does Escape from New York. 82, he does The Thing. 83, he does Christine. 84, he does Starman. 86, he took two years. It did Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, in 87, he does Prince of Darkness. 88, he does They Live. So um, he so kind of, insane. and you know, and it's interesting about Prince of Darkness and They Live. 
is that Universal Pictures was like, hey, we know we gave you a hard time because the thing flops. And that was, and that was one yeah. of their movies. So they, you know, they invited it back to do more movies, which is good. Nice. But that, no matter how much, whatever you think of the quality of his 80s run, and I actually, I like, I've seen all those movies. And I haven't seen Starman. That's the only one I haven't seen. It, it, oh, it's, it's fun. It's, yeah. it's pretty cheap. I know it's fun. fun. Uh, I remembered of him, yeah. Um, but he had a really good run in the 80s. That's what and, I'm saying. He led the 80s. And I I I I didn't really think about how good the run was because I don't think I don't think I thought about those movies in terms of when they came out. I've always just thought about like right. just individual movies I've liked by him, but like not really Fair thinking enough. about the succession of when they came out and you know how close together and yeah, just I mean, I think I think maybe even not so much then, but I think if you were you know, a cinephile now, and you're looking at that, like, these are probably all cult favorites at this point uh, in their own right. right. And probably and probably more beloved today uh, than they were then. <laughs> Absolutely. He was really a guy that was making movies that obviously are, are of their time, but didn't find appreciation until much later. I'm sure for that was the case for most of them. I'm sure some, you know, received acclaim, but not necessarily the box office. And I'm glad that he's still around to see how his movies have been received over time because he yeah. is, you know, I think he's sneaky good. Like a lot of people don't really consider how great and how impactful his movies have been. Um, but he's yeah. absolutely one of the greats. I agree. I think, I think it might, uh, you know, we, of course we don't know him personally, but um, <laughs> it seems like he would feel good about how these movies are received now. Cause I, I always think it's crazy because I love the fog. For instance, I think it mm-hmm. gets better every time I watch it. Right. And he kind of has like, I think he thinks it's a good little ghost story, but right. he has his own issues with it. And like, it could have been scarier here. And you know, he could have sure. done this differently, yep. but I think for a lot of people in recent years, the more they watch it, the more they appreciate it. And it's in like their top level, like John Carpenter movies. And I think he's seeing that a lot with like his movies now where so many people are reevaluating them today mm-hmm. in a much more positive light. Uh, right. So, I, I mean, I have to feel good as a filmmaker, even if you get the recognition like years, yeah. years, years At later. At least you get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, in the case of this one, um, I know you, 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 like you said, you came off the watch of September. Well, what was your thoughts? Can you remember when you first uh, saw it? Well, what really stuck, I think um, the effects in particular, this is another, you know, he's known for employing incredible practical effects in his movies. Um, This is no exception, especially coming right. It would have been hard to top the thing from the year previous. And I don't think this does that in terms of like how impressive they are, but they are absolutely impressive for different reasons. And this movie, obviously the effects are coming down to, you know, the vehicle, like Christine herself and the stuff he does with it. But in that famous scene where she rebuilds herself, uh, is like oh, such an like impressive show sequence. Me. Yeah, that's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite, like my favorite scene in the movie, dude. <laughs> Absolutely, me too. One so of good. probably a couple that are standouts, yeah. but that scene, like, it's pretty obvious, like how it was filmed when you're looking at it, but it comes across like so impressively and looks just such such a badass scene, and probably took up a um, fair amount of the budget too, I imagine. But there's a couple sequences you see, like that's really Christine's time to shine is in that scene. But there's a couple times where she repairs herself like off camera and in the dark you know you know clouded which by also is like effective really it's also effective definitely like i like it's like the one like towards the end or i guess like the climax of the movie where it's it's been trying to like run over uh lee the, the alexander paul and it's been right. it's been banged up banged up banged up and then like 
Kate like, kind of pulls off into the shadows, and when he reemerges again, it's completely brand new. It's so uh, cool. Which is such a tiny little trick, right? You're just like, oh, let's yeah. go dark for a second, and then like, right. But you're just like, and that just gives you an even bigger impression. Like this thing is like virtually indestructible. It seems right. like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I do love that you you do get that big transformation like regeneration moment that you see, yeah. but I also like the one that like is kind of just done off camera in the shadows. I think they both really work. Uh, really absolutely well. but that's yeah the effect stood out to me upon seeing it which comes as no surprise and i guess i didn't really go into my first watch of christine expecting like an effects heavy or yep. effects impressive effects from this movie i just thought you know i thought this car would be running people over for the entire duration and it does do a fair <laughs> amount of that even the effects like with the the car being shrouded in fire in that one scene when it oh yeah blows up and seeing that gas station actually being blown up is looks awesome on camera just you don't see that stuff as much anymore um but the performances too from particularly from uh keith gordon who plays arnie like i think he plays more convincingly a nerd and like sort of like the down on his luck high school loser See, i was gonna convincing. ask you that too because i was like i i thought yeah i think he is more convincing as a nerd but i, but think, I think he, he ha- does yeah. a good uh, i believe the transformation into kind of like uh, cocky asshole uh, yes. you know but so I, I think yeah but i agree with you though a he big does part, it as a, or more yeah. convincing um i think a big part of his transition into the more confident suave cocky persona is christine's influence on him is very present and you can tell that this is there's something sinister going on that really elevates that performance i don't think if there was nothing like christine influencing him if he was just had a snap of a finger switch into this nerd to this more like suave popular charismatic person i wouldn't have bought it so much but you can tell that he's being influenced there's this sinister aspect of his life that is making yeah. him this way and i think that helps that performance a lot um but john stockwell too has his best friend dennis is, is i feel honestly he doesn't have as much to do in this movie but he's a, con, a convincing likable character too yeah yeah you know this is a kind of the period where uh there's like a few horror movies where there's a less popular lead and then they happen to have like a best like jock friend right which uh like a nightmare on elm street part two does that too like mark Patton <laughs> is like kind of nerdy and then his best friend is athletic and you know better looking and all that stuff um it's funny it's like in, in the in most the hierarchy of high school films usually this wouldn't be the case uh but <laughs> in, in 80s uh, in 80s high school movies uh apparently it is and but i agree he doesn't have as much to do but i still liked him i thought he's pretty likable yeah and you can tell that he cares about his friend too yes uh, on top of on top of all that and uh can see uh you gotta even though it's gradual it's kind of like negative change in mm-hmm. him um and i you know uh and i actually actually liked uh alexander paul too even though she yeah, was she's not great. she was a model uh but this was her first movie uh, so okay. she was not she was not uh, an actress by any means. And I, I I read an interview where she said that she doesn't like her performance in it. She thinks that she needed more direction as like a first time actress. But I think she's fine, you know, in the movie. Uh, thinks she, you know, not mm-hmm. not like not like it's like a transformative performance or anything. But it right it does it does the she job. Does the job. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The movie doesn't she, uh, ask much of her. Right. Right. Um, also, by the way, fifteen percent of the budget was just on cars. <laughs> by the end of filming, all but two were destroyed. <laughs> yeah, one and a half million, I think, was the breakdown of the ten million dollar budget. And there was something yeah. like twenty four cars, and you, you hard to tell how many you're really seeing on screen because you get different cars 
and depending on the sequence, they're in various state of you know dismemberment. But yeah. I never thought it was anything like that high for sure. But yeah. when Christine is like fully at her top of her game, like in pristine condition, like that is a beautiful ride. And uh, you yeah, can see why great looking car. Yeah, Stephen King chose particularly the 58 Plymouth Fury as the model, because I guess in his eyes at the time, the novel was being written. It was sort of a, a car forgotten by history. And after Christine, the particularly the, the, uh, the movie had come out because it was the same year as the book was published. Uh, it like exploded in the popularity again. And now it's like one of the more recognizable vehicles in like, you know, pop culture, I sure, suppose, yeah. or maybe in movie history, maybe. And this is crazy. This, uh, Stephen King was such a hot commodity back then that mm. the movie went into production like mere weeks after <laughs> the book was published. Right. Um, so, you know, you kind of hear that a little bit now where certain studios will buy the film rights to uh, either. It's usually more established, you know, writers they will buy like the rights to their next novel, not even knowing what it might be. Right. Which is such a gamble. <laughs> yeah. A gamble. Yeah. And, and Stephen King was that guy uh, then. Uh, and I just that's crazy that yeah they're like hey like just give us whatever you got and like yeah dude, yeah that's pretty so cool bangable writer though i don't blame them for being all in on this and it's funny because like i feel like in the hands of many other authors like a killer car on paper sounds ridiculous but he just adds his touch that makes this movie so much more than that it's really yeah. i was describing this to my parents earlier I, I have dinner with them every sunday and was just there always asking you know what what's going on with the podcast just checking in and i mentioned yeah. that we were covering uh, Christine for its 40th anniversary and even though they had not seen it it was more of this conversation with my mom she knew exactly what I was talking about she goes the movie but the car I was like yeah exactly like 40 <laughs> years later I know she has not even seen it and she knows what this movie is, what so is. just a testament to Stephen King and obviously the movie itself yeah I also think the poster might be pretty iconic too it's a nice looking I kind of wish I owned it I wish I owned it too <laughs> my DVD cover isn't it's a cool cover oh, that, that Christine one, yeah. on fire but I like the post like the the more blue toned yeah the one that Christine. you the one that you posted uh, yeah. for the 40th anniversary yeah that was that is that's a great that looking super cool movie poster Agreed. it really sells exactly what the movie is without like doing too much but it just it just looks really true cool. um what uh, do you think of Christine as a character and how carpenter sort of like was able to do with the car what he's able to do do you feel like it's more of like what do you think about how Christine's handled? I guess is that I, convinced? As I'm watched, as I watched it today, I think I like I, it's been like over ten years since I watched it last, so I had like no fresh knowledge of the movie, so mm -hmm. this almost felt like I was watching it for the first time. Right, again. I love that. Uh, yeah. Um, what I what I got from it as I was watching as it moved along, Christine felt like a fully fleshed out character of its own. Agreed. <laughs> and then like I never got the impression I'm thinking like, oh, there's like a stunt driver in the car, like manipulating car. I like I was able to suspend disbelief enough yeah. as like a movie watcher to be like, that thing is alive <laughs> and <laughs> uh and with a mind of its own. And I that is a testament to a few things, I guess. I mean, I, I don't if it's just the way that he chooses to shoot the vehicle or like mm. there was just a lot of different things that carpenter did that made that car feel more than just a machine <laughs> like right. it was definitely it felt like it was a living breathing thing and like it also like it has personality too like i love like how the radio is kind of like an indication of like you know 
something's about to happen. Yeah. Uh, and also, and also in a really funny sly way, a, a depiction of the car's mood. Very uh, much so. And <laughs> how accurate the songs that she plays are to the scenario, what she's trying to say, I find honestly like darkly comical. Like the scene yeah. where someone, I think it's someone, one of the bullies is trying to access the car. Or actually, yep. it might even be um, Dennis at first. He breaks in and he's trying to get in. And then it plays that song. It's like, you, you keep on knocking, but you can't come in. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So slick and so funny. And there's plenty of scenes where she's I mean, using the radio. I mean, it's the one where speak. it's like trying to choke out Lee in the car. That uh, uh, It's just like, yeah. you just tell, you could tell what its personality is. Uh, and even like when Artie dies at the end, there's, I feel like what the, the song that they choose to play, yeah. it's almost like the car is like more, like it, it, probably yeah. mourn the loss of Artie uh, in some way. I love too how you <laughs> see the like, headlights go out as Arnie uh, dies. Like they're dies, so connected, yeah. right? I was like, so I was like, oh, like <laughs> it wasn't just really using and manipulating him. It felt like it, it grew this kind of like I feel like it's a symbiotic him. relationship <laughs> yeah, where they relationship. need each other. Like the car right. had fallen into disrepair and was ignored and just ready to be sold. And then along comes Arnie who sees the beauty in Christine and, and is able to restore her and they like you said, like they, they have this bond together and they really are yeah. influencing each other, I suppose. Or more like Christine, I guess, was more bad from the start and corrupts Arnie, but I think Arnie yeah. also plays a part in he allows this to happen to him. Yeah, I agree. And I also I also think a, a thing that goes a long way to making the car feel like it's a person, because <laughs> that's how I viewed it. Okay, <laughs> like yeah. it was like live a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Is the fact that it was just always listening to because like the fact that mm. Lee kind of was like voicing like I don't like something. I don't feel right about your car. Like just voicing her concerns. And the first time she voices those concerns is when the car is like, all right, well, we got to take her out now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like she's, she's a liability. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, th I thought that kind of stuff was cool too. I, I think kind of, it might, some people might think it plays fast and loose with the rules of like how much it can do and how much it understands uh, and all that. But okay. I don't know, but I at the end of the day, I still, yeah. At the end of the day, I still think that like he does a good job of making you feel like this is not just a car, right? It feels and like its own character. I think he also gets to that right out of the gate. Like, remember, like watching it yesterday, like before anything's even on screen, you hear Christine revving. Like that's how the movie opens up with the black screen. You hear Christine revving up, and then you get her like birth, if you will, on the assembly line to like yeah, yeah. the song "Bad to the Bone." It's oh. such perfect uh soundtrack to the movie like you know what i mean yeah, yeah it couldn't be a better song to fit and then i think to the shots of christine going down the assembly line you literally just get the camera's angle that some obscure part of her just sort of following the assembly line workers but you get all these different shots from different angles of christine like through her rear view mirror her side mirrors just over the fender it, it really feels like you're watching it from her perspective and it makes her feel like a character in the movie rather than just a car yeah yeah. I agreed. Um, what do you think about changing the stuff from the source material? Like they said that in mm. King's novel, it's made clear that the car was possessed by the evil spirit of its previous owner. Uh, whereas the film version of the story jokes that the evil spirit of the car manifested itself on the day it was built. Um, do you really think it matters? Or I mean, I think to, to Stephen King fans, maybe I can, I wouldn't like blame anybody for being put off by the changes to the novel or to the book rather i personally have no gripes with it because i haven't read the novel and i do like the liberties of the from what i know anyway from the book I, I think the liberties taken in the movie work for me i like the idea more that like 
Christine's evil is present from the beginning and it's unexplained. I like that ambiguity. Um, and I, th yeah. I also think it pays enough respects to the novel that it, it includes, you know, the lore of her previous owner and right, dying right. in the car. And he, he's mentioned by name. It's just not necessarily, I even think there is actually saying this now an argument to be made that his, the previous owner, I can't remember something LeBay. Is, uh, Roland D. LeBay. Yeah. yeah. I think he is, you can hear him. Like you see a little bit of him later, like Arnie sorts to adopt a little bit of the mannerisms that, LeBay's brother who sells him the car like he uses some some of that language particularly which, he refers to people as shitters which yep. the LeBay's brother did I feel like you sort of get a little bit of that spirit I think there's a case to be made anyway but I think the ambiguity goes a long way for Christine yeah I appreciate the ambiguity too I mean mm -hmm. I I mean I get me I think both versions of that movie would work I mean it would make sense yeah. that, that both angles make sense but yep. I do kind of like that uh, mm -hmm. you don't really know exactly what kind of mm -hmm. the fact that the fact that it kind of kind of just manifests it in itself seems like it's creepier a little bit than like exactly it, it being like you know the previous owner you know you know it's just an evil spirit of the owner who died in it or whatever i like to compare um, it to like michael myers for instance like you don't need to know i think it's creepier that michael myers is like christine is just possessed by some evil and it it not it is the embodiment of evil it doesn't need to have necessarily come from something else that's what kind of yeah. makes it scary that it could be anything. Um, yeah, I agree. But, um, I also found it interesting because I, again, it felt like I was watching for the first time. I forgot how weird the relationship is between Arnie and his parents. Uh, oh, parents. wow. Like, yeah. How, uh, how, you know, completely he feels very coddled. Like, it's like it seems like he's sheltered in a way. And like, right. they're very, and they're very controlling. Like the fact that they won't let him even keep the car at the house. Right. Um, you know, it's just I it, it just makes it go, it went a long way to making that character really interesting because like it seeing what he was like before the change starts to happen. Uh, I guess you need to see how how different he really was uh, before he gets the car and kind of how beaten down. I mean, he, they I mean the whole thing with him and his friend are talking about like how this is the year they're going to get him laid. Like he mm -hmm. hasn't, you know, he's and all this other stuff. Like he clearly is like. A nerd and not popular he gets bullied as we see uh, yeah. early on in the movie um by the way um <laughs> i was trying to see if i buy them being in high school um <laughs> the bullies in particular particularly the lead one looks way older than senior in high school but i Is guess that, that right? was the yeah. i guess i guess that was the 80s <laughs> and they did that a lot I, I like. I'm curious to know, like, in casting, how old that actor was. I actually didn't get that impression that he was much older than an '80s high school senior would have looked at the time. But that's because I'm, a, I'm of a complete different time. So I always find right. that that could just be a symptom of casting in '80s movies or '80s set movies. So, but it didn't look out of place to me because that just felt like the norm. Um, but even looking back at like my parents' high school photos and stuff, like everyone just looks older than they did nowadays i feel like people just get nice. more useful um but it never like bothered me i i have heard it brought up and mentioned by other people commenting on the movie um uh, but at least it didn't, it didn't do anything for me but i actually i think the character like how like the that trio of bullies are like what they're going about at the beginning of the movie i think it is they play convincing high school bullies like i enjoyed their performance buddy Repertin in particular um when he gets in yeah. that scuffle with the teacher too and 
I yeah, just I was that, so surprised that he even tried to he didn't even try to back down and no, no, he did try to fake fake being like, oh, I didn't have a knife. I don't know what you're talking about. But once he realized he's caught and he just yeah, basically pops off of the mouth and basically threatens the teacher too. Uh, I was like, this guy has like no limits whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I but and yeah, I mean, I guess too, they have to be like so mean irreprehensible that you want them to get their comeuppance i mean that this is also an interesting thing about this movie is you want the the bad things that happen right because like yeah you want them to get their comeuppance because they're assholes and uh they clearly probably not the first time they've picked on arnie i would imagine uh right and and so you're like okay well you don't really feel bad about them it's just when it when it transfers over to like people that you know that he cared about at one point, that's when you're like, all right, now the car is going too far. I mean, this isn't just like a, yeah. a revenge fantasy like kind of story where it's like, oh, these people like treated me this way, and now I'm gonna get back at them. It's you know, it kind of starts with that and then transitions into anyone mm-hmm. that might try to come in between. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, it's so interesting too because the guy who played him said that he treated christine like he thought of christine as like an actual woman yes and so like and so like when he so like when he so like when he would touch the car he would like envision like spots on like a woman that he'd be touching and i guess you know it works for the part because like buy it for sure yeah his connection to the car he definitely becomes more connected to christine than you know his would-be girlfriend so (laughs) exactly actually perfectly (laughs) documented in that scene where uh and actually i just rewatched the scene in anticipation for our conversation about it because i thought it was one of those up scenes that's like up there with my favorites when i think the scene if like you youtube it it's like uh Arnie talking about love and it's when he takes it's like they're on their new year him and dennis are on their drive on new year's eve and uh, Dennis is sort of like confronting him about what's been going on. And Arnie launches into this tangent and he goes, let me tell you something about love. And he goes on and Dennis this whole time is thinking that Arnie's talking about Lee, his girlfriend. Hey. And when he asks him, he goes, this is how you feel about Lee. Arnie's reaction when he like <laughs>, laughs, like almost like as if like, could you be any more stupid? Like, no, I'm talking about Christine. Yeah. No Christine. shit I've ever got between me and Christine. Oh, it's such a great yeah. scene for Arnie to really convey how like their bond is and when i was describing this movie to my mom because she was asking me a little bit asking me a little bit about it um i kind of said i was like it sort of feels like a a parody or a satire on a boy's love affair with his first car and yeah i I still feel like that and i remember my first car i had it for eight years and i loved my first car and i think this movie definitely does a good job at you put portraying that so much time so much time and effort yeah. into it, especially the first one, because yeah. it's like it, it might not, and it might be like a junky fucking hoopty, but like it's your first yeah. one, <laughs> so exactly. like and so you yours, tr- right? so, you love it. <laughs> yeah, so you treat yeah. it with so much care, and like yeah, actually that is probably one of my favorite scenes too, and it's actually probably one of the better acted scenes uh, in the movie. Like the way he's because like, and then also you're thinking like as his friend, if you were in that car with him, like <laughs> you'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Are you serious? <laughs> this whole time yeah. you've been talking about like your vehicle, like you can't like be in love with your car. Like, right. You know, you don't have like, and it sounds silly, but if you see connection. it, you, you're convinced by his feelings for the car. And it's, it's so wonderfully odd and macabre. I just love it. Uh, and so he also has that major like blow up on Lee when like they discover the car at, after it's been like thrashed by the bullies, <sighs> and she's yeah. like, "Oh, like uh, who do you think did this?" And she's like trying to 
basically console him and then he just snaps at her like yeah. basically you know saying like this is what happy. she wanted yeah. you bet you're happy yeah and like that's another moment of like another proving to her that like yeah he does not care about me more than this right car yeah um, but yeah i like there's like scenes like that i think that convey like how mm-hmm. you know uncomfortably close <laughs> yes to come um with his vehicle let me ask you this because like i feel like the more i see this movie and this watch was my third the more i sort of lean into this ambiguity i don't know if i'm necessarily convinced that Christine is always acting on her own. I know that because of the blacked out windows on the uh, car. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like, and I love that we don't really know, but I don't think it's necessarily a cut and dry case of it's when, our, when Christine is hunting down the bullies or hurting people, it's necessarily just the car. I, I'd like to yeah. think that at least in some of those, maybe not all of them, Arnie very well could be behind the wheel. And I don't I wanted to know what you thought about that. If you feel like it's, absolutely yeah. christine acting on her own or if maybe it's a little bit of both i think it might be a little bit of both um i know that carpenter did the whole thing with the blacked out windows because he wanted you to question whether or not he's in the car or if it is okay. Christine yeah. acting on her own um you know and of course but during the end of the movie when he gets flung from the car you're like all right he was it but then there's also the question of now i'm like kind of thinking like okay well it could be Christine acting on its own. It's also Arnie could be in the car, but also it just like it would not really be Arnie, just a possessed Arnie being in the right. car. Maybe like mm-hmm. she has like so much control over him that I wonder mm-hmm. if he doesn't even remember doing any of that stuff. If, if he is behind the wheel, particularly with mm-hmm. uh, with the pursuit of like the bullies and all that, like yeah. how much of it, it, I think it leaves it open. Um, because when I, I was watching today and I was like, oh, like my first thought was like, well, no, I think it's acting on its own in defense of him. Right. And, and, that's, and I well, think that, was, that could be the answer too. Uh, and I, I think that could be the answer, but then I, I think they, I purposely throw that wrinkle at the end, having him being flung from the car. It's like, oh, well mm. now I have to question whether or not like this whole time was he behind the wheel of the car and they were just <laughs> acting together Yeah. or, and both scenarios work. I mean, I, I think in my mind, the car acting on its own, like as a kind of like defending him. Right. is a better like story point for me. I agree. And, and I like to think that's what it is too, but I like that we don't know. Yeah. I, I'm like, like that you don't know too, but yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it could be one or two things, but like in my mind, like for most of that movie, it was mm-hmm. Christine, you know, acting out retribution on her own. Uh, and I and I know I don't know if that makes the ending a little bit more problematic because it, if it kind of like if other audience people or anyone else that watches the movie once he's flung from that car at the end like do you just automatically think oh like well the whole time maybe he was right you know behind behind the wheel from for every kind of mm-hmm. pursuit that Christine went on but I don't know for my personal viewing habits mm-hmm. I want to believe that it was mostly the car which gives the car more personality if it was just mm-hmm. acting on its own to defend him and, agreed you know, um. And actually, speaking of that scene too, where he's flung, that where that scene really picks up just before that, and I had completely forgotten this even after my watch in September. It, it still tricked me. It, it got me when they Lee and Dennis go to the scrapyard to sort of set up this trap for Christine using like the not a bulldozer, whatever it was, that tractor uh, yeah. to try and lure Christine in there and then run it over and crush her. But 
Christine is already there hidden under some rubble and when rubble, they are yeah. walking that was away. So good. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's it's not like a yeah. it's kind of like an 80s version of like a jump scare, I guess, but it's like when her, yeah, her but it was lights so come well. on and she yeah. bursts out of there. Oh, it's such a good and it's not really with a big music stinger no. or anything. It's just like kind of like the lights just turn on, you're like, oh shit, like yeah. you know, kind of like one step ahead of you guys. And, <laughs> and it, it really comes across that way, and it's slick, it even tricks the audience into thinking you know christine's a one one step ahead of you guys uh but i really Dude, like I, I fucking jump when like when he gets flung from the car arnie and then like yeah. there's that one moment where he grabs her the hold on to her yeah i jumped there too i kind of because i hadn't seen him forever and i forgot right. that that was there and i was like fuck that was by mm. myself thank god <laughs> when it happened <laughs> but uh also yeah that, that i love that you brought that that reveal was like so cool because it's just so like stealth mm. and like such an easy like trick that I don't think a lot of filmmakers today even try to use to set up a scare like that. Right. Because like if it had been any movie made today, there'd be like a big like burn <laughs> before it, like before before it happened. Hundred percent. It's <laughs> such an overused trope. Um, I was curious too if there's any like favorite standout sequences to you in the movie. Um, well, I do love when the car first uh, rebuilds itself. Yeah. And I love and I because it's such a cool like almost like this like communication between them and when he says like show me and it's right. almost like she's talking to him without really even having to talk to him i know but yeah it was such a cool like moment i think in the movie mm-hmm. that's why it's probably one of my favorite uh favorite scenes in the movie um i liked uh, you know i i love that you mentioned the one with the, in the car with arnie and Dennis. I, I thought that was there's a lot of good character moments in the movie mm-hmm. like that's why it's like said earlier like i feel like the script itself is a little deeper than it probably even should be for a movie of this <laughs> right type. and just like i think they do a really good job at, at establishing arnie's character to take you on this kind of journey uh with him i so you kind of buy the, the the transformation and what it does to him how it corrupts him mm-hmm. um and then also these people like you know these two people in his lives that want to kind of help him because like you know they're his friends and they want to you know they remember the guy that he was and like they're they even though they can't quite explain mm. what is changing in him i mean and they do kind of allude to like you know when they find out what happened in the car before he got it it seems like even if he's not fully believing that there might be some supernatural thing going didn't still think it's weird that you know like someone died in that car and like right. you know there's that whole kind of like uh bad juju around it <laughs> so even it I, I, but I, that's why I, I, I liked about it too is like, even though there is this like kind of supernatural angle to it, the characters don't really have to buy into the car is possessed. Just that, ha- just that overall feeling that something is just off. I right. actually bought, and I don't think a lot of movies can really sell that well sometimes. We're just right. like, oh, we're, you know, I think that's what most normal people would react to. You wouldn't think that, you know, yeah, my best friend bought a car that's like possessed <laughs> by an evil spirit, but you would be like, you know, something is amiss. right basically definitely um another sequence too is when he i love when he's chasing that one bully in particular and he goes in like the alleyway yeah and it just squeezes in i think uh, that's my favorite scene actually is that that whole chase from the get-go like no, that's like a so four good. or five minute sequence i think that yeah. that's what i had in mind when i asked you the question uh i love that entire and john score in there like that big yeah. synthesizer heavy which is like his famous instrument it sounds that's like one of the moments where i feel like if you didn't even see anything else in the movie and you were just a you know your channel scrolling and you, the scene comes on you're like i'm in a john carpenter movie right now that's yeah. one of the big scenes 
for me. Yeah, that that whole pursuit of the bullies is so cool because it's like mm. they're in the car and then you just see the headlights uh, yeah. in, in back of them. You're like, oh, yep, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, and this is the whole stuff at the gas station. And then I, I don't even want to say that the car is really chasing uh, Buddy because it's not it's not really like a high speed chase when it's on fire. He's pursuing <laughs> right. him. He's pursuing yeah. him. But it looks so cool, like having the car be like completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, uh, and then on this like long, lonely stretch of road where like no one else is on it apparently, uh, that <laughs> it just looks so cool visually though, and then combined with like the Agreed. music, it was just a really cool thing. And then like <laughs> the way it just kind of takes him out, like it just like it's yeah. a slow, 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 and then all of a sudden it's like oh shit, completely like <laughs> ran him over, and then com- completely engulfed him in flames too. It was like it's so right. cool. It's but, like yeah, at that point it's right, really like, a fight. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. But yeah, I love watching that car go through that little tiny alleyway, completely destroying itself to get to uh, the last particular bully, and it just crushes him. And super, super awesome scene. Yeah, it is. So I was thinking this. Oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, I don't even remember what I was going to say. Nothing important. End of the thought, really. But what were you going to (laughs) say? I was uh, thinking this too. I was watching because I know that you like some gore sometimes and violence. There's not. This is not really a gore heavy. No movie, there a lot especially of like, coming off the thing, <laughs> right? Yo, know, right. So, like, you know, like the scene where it crushes Mucci, like, it really just kind of it's implied and it crushes him, but then it kind of you don't see anything, you're right. just really seeing his reaction to being crushed. And you right. know, there's not a lot of you get like Arnie's impaled by like the part of the windshield kind of coming out right. of the windshield, or whatever, but there's not a lot of blood or gore in it, it's pretty light. So, I mean, I know that you like that sometimes, and you like more. I do, <laughs> uh, I would like. <laughs> It doesn't really bother me in this movie. I'm sure I would do with more. And I think it's funny, though, how they had to fight for an R rating because of the lack of gore. gore. And also, it seems like when I hadn't heard of a movie that was campaigning for an R rating before, but I guess it's demographic that it was after. It wanted the younger audience and and teens and stuff to come see it. And I guess the uh, whoever it was, the the studio was worried that they wouldn't, uh, they'd miss out on that demographic if it was rated PG. So, yeah. To compromise for that, they the the writers threw in just some more savvy dialogue, some more f bombs and whatnot, which yeah. I think make up for the lack of gore because I think that a big part of realistic dialogue includes swearing, and especially at this time period and the the age of the characters that we're seeing, I feel like it's very yeah. appropriate. So I like some of the more colorful dialogue in this movie that sort of makes up for the R rating that because of the lack of gore. But yeah, certainly like seeing Moochie be put crush to death i could deal with a little bit more violence there but i don't think it really took me out of the movie at all i think something that adds to that sequence is the conversation that uh has with harry dean stanton's like detective character later which also lends me to think that he's a little bit more aware of what christine is doing where um i can't remember what precedes the conversation but um harry dean stanton's like they had to you know, he, Muchi was cut in half. They had to scrape his legs up with uh, a shovel. And Arnie goes, isn't that what you're <laughs> supposed to do with shit? Scrape it up with yeah, a shovel? Yeah, oh, it's such a great delivery yeah, for yeah. him, too. So yeah, good. one of my favorites. Which, and there is ambiguity in that, too, right? It could be like he knows exactly what he did to him. and Right. Yeah, it, or he just like it's just saying like, just saying it as a, you know, a kind of insult, just a general insult right. about. Yeah. So I, I love that it could go either way in that regard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm surprised by it. it was you know, and I, but it, I wasn't bothered by the lack of gore and violence in it. I mean, it, it just right. Uh, you know what else I realized while I was watching it? It's not scary. 
But no, it's, it's always, really not. It's, all, it's always completely and totally interesting, though. Agreed. Like I never, I never like as a horror movie. I wasn't like, oh, this is like freaking me out or anything. It was just, uh, and I know that is like the intention for most. That should be the intention for most horror films. Right. But like, I was not let down by a lack of scares in it. But like, what was going on uh, throughout the whole thing? What it kept me kind right. of glued to what I was watching, no matter what. So it's still like an entertaining movie, regardless. But exactly. yeah, exactly. But I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, I, yeah, I'm not even like a little. There was no other than that one kind of cool reveal that you talked about with the headlights and like, you know, jump scare in the movie. Uh, but other than that, like there was no luck eventually scary, though. Yeah, but it's right, definitely, right, right. Uh, definitely a horror movie. There's no doubt about it. But that's what's great about that word in general is like an umbrella term. Like horror means a lot of different things. And it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you got to be scared, you know, out of your pants. But um one thing that I have left that I wanted to mention, it would have been more appropriate probably to lead with it, but the setting of the movie takes place in what's called Rockbridge, California. I was curious if that is, I know it was filmed actually in the same place where Halloween was filmed. Um, yeah, it's filmed in, in the California. same Pasadena neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, well, where's Rockbridge? Which is interesting is that because is that place? Does, I've never heard of it, so I don't know if they made it up or uh, okay. now I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look it up. Uh, <laughs> but it's, well, it's interesting knowing that they filmed in the same Pasadena neighborhood mm. uh, that they filmed Halloween in, but it doesn't have the same look of Halloween at all. No, or Halloween really feels very like feels very like you know Midwest USA, right? Despite the palm trees in the background because they <laughs> forgot to hide that. Um, this like feels not like that. Even though uh, when I looked it up, like it's pretty close to where they filmed Halloween, right? Like, extremely close. So like it, it's crazy that like you know from aesthetically it looks so different. Mm. Uh, from that movie, and like to learn that they were filmed like pretty much in the same location is uh, was crazy to me because it looks completely different. It, I guess it's not trying to portray the Midwest too. It's it's open about being yeah. set in California. That might have something to do with it. Um, I do think too, it's fun to imagine these movies like Halloween and Christine taking place in the same universe, having being directed <laughs> by John Carpenter, filmed in the same place. Both take place in 1978, which is an odd. I don't know if maybe the, the, the book does, maybe that's why the movie yeah. does, but it, I mean, it came out, it was shot in 82, 83. Like why portray it in 1978? I think that's kind of funny, but just another connection yeah. between the movies that there's not really much else to go off of like as connections, but it's just enough to be like, it's fun to imagine these movies both being in the same universe and having this abstract source of evil without any, explanation as to where it came from i think is another cool little connection between them two well it also has uh another halloween connection uh david gordon david gordon green said that um he was inspired more by christine while making halloween ends um and if you read i mean if you there's some plot elements that feels like it uh are very similar i'm just going to read a few of these things he said that he was heavily inspired by carpenter's christine and some of the things that they've listed, uh, of course, the story of Christine follows Arnie Cunningham, a bully teen who bought a used 1958 Planet Fury named Christine and was corrupted by the evil force that lived within it. And Halloween ends, the character is named Corey Cunningham. And, oh. uh, <laughs> uh, and he also, once he is, uh, once he uh, encounters Michael Myers, becomes corrupted by his evil and gradually changes. Um, 
And in addition, the evil gave Corey more confidence and made him possessive of Laurie Stroh's traumatized granddaughter, Allison, whom he had started dating. Both Arnie and Corey meet ugly ends. But while Christine seemed to mourn Arnie's death, Michael flat out murdered Corey, who stole his mask uh, in the film. Uh, they also said that uh, Halloween Ends borrows various uh, visual uh, touches, settings, and plot points from Carpenter's Christine. For example, Corey didn't have his own uh, 58 planet, but he had a motorcycle with a very bright headlight that is reminiscent of Arnie's vehicle of choice. Corey and Allison also ate in a 50s-style diner with a red and white color scheme, which are also the same colors as Christine. Uh, uh, Halloween Ends even has many scenes set in a junkyard, just like Christine, including its finale. Where the town people okay. take Michael's body to be destroyed in an industrial shredder. Um, a lot of people have brought up brought up those comparisons. A lot of people who defend Halloween ends uh, use that as a defense for, of Halloween ends that maybe he was more. This was more of a like inspiration of John Carpenter's work rather than it just okay. being like a Halloween movie. I kind of I think that I don't hate Halloween ends, but I think that's kind of like a cop out answer. Like, okay, I uh, think it's cool <laughs> to be influenced by that movie um but i gotta make up my own mind i still i know i haven't taken the time to watch ends yet um but i i haven't forgotten about it i plan on doing it i know it's gonna be a busy end of the year with a lot of stuff that i gotta get in before we break down our 2023 review but um i might try and find time to especially now knowing that it you know there's some inspiration from christine i find that cool similarly yeah. though to the halloween franchise i'm i'm seeing here too i didn't know this until today that uh i guess there is plans to remake christine it's going to be a blumhouse production as well mm-hmm. so you, you know much, you. You i know didn't know much anything about, about that, that till the, i didn't know that about that till today okay um and thoughts? I, I have thoughts of this with blumhouse <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's really gonna be hit or miss i think it could be remade i don't think it's like untouchable necessarily i wouldn't necessarily campaign for a remake i like the original just as it is i don't think it i don't think it i don't think it's a horror movie that has the whole like oh please don't touch that and remake it Um, right there you could definitely probably improve on some things maybe Mm -hmm. um i think if they marketed the right way it could do really well i could see them really having a really fun marketing campaign to promote it where it would be really cool like and and the thing is like horror movie marketing is some of the best marketing film wise right uh, and I think they could do something really cool here, but and you know I'll, I'll read what Stephen King said about the original, but it seems like he'd be kind of open to another take on it since he didn't particularly like wasn't blown away by uh, what Carpenter's you know, version, what Carpenter did. Um, he said while he was promoting uh, the film adaptation of Dreamcatcher in 2003, he mentioned Christine as one of the two film adaptations of his work that had bored him. He said, I may just be the he said, I may just be the most adapted novelist in modern times, and I don't say that with pride so much as with a kind of stunned amusement. Several honorable adaptations have come from this 30-year spew of soloid, and the best of those have had few of the elements I'm best known for: science fiction, fantasy, the supernatural, and pure gross-out moments. The books that do have those elements have, by and large, become films that are either forgettable or outright embarrassing. Others, I'm thinking chiefly of Christine and Stanley Kubrick's take on The Shining should have been good, but just, well, they just aren't. They're actually sort of boring. Speaking for myself, I'd rather have bad than boring. Okay. Well, that is <laughs> definitely like not... Tell us how you really feel. 
I, yeah, I described, don't find anything boring about Christine. Maybe compared to the novel, having not read it, I can't make the comparison, but I don't think, I don't find Christine the film boring at all, but I find it very entertaining. I don't either. I, I don't know how to like land on that sometimes. I actually love The Shining. And I, I remember the first time I heard that he didn't like the mm. movie. And I was like, that made me feel some kind of way. But then I was like, well, the book is his baby. And if he feels like Stanley Kubrick, uh, right. I don't want to say shit all over it because I don't think you did. I think I think Stanley Kubrick's like I'm going to make my movie, right? <laughs> exactly. <of> make <laughs> and that didn't it's go over too well. bad. I um, mean, Stephen Stephen King feels like the the ABC made for TV movie version of The Shining is better, closer adaptation. Is that not the book. one that did he not direct that one? Uh, I don't, I can't remember if he did or not. Uh, he did he did direct it, his own Shining movie. It, I didn't know if that was the one. So like, but it's not good. Like my good. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't so, think anybody it, thinks it's really that good, but but like um, you know, I I feel weird when directors do this because <laughs> it's like, oh well, I liked it. I mean, right. I always feel that I feel that way about like Steven Spielberg talks not the best about Hook, and I love Hook. Okay, <laughs> and he like and he's always just like, oh, it's not one of my best movies, and like most people that love Hook, if they grew up with it, they're just like, don't shit on my childhood by saying that, right? Uh, uh, so I mean, again, it's his. It's his novel, it's his source material. I just mm. can't I mean, but again, I guess it would help if I read if we both read the book. Right. But it seems like what we got here is it could I mean, as a film itself with a premise as silly as this is, I think the execution is pretty good, pretty solid for what completely could've, agree could have been. Because this could have been a really bad B movie. Exactly. In the hands and of maybe you, anybody else. Yeah, and we could have enjoyed it on that level. It could have been like, oh, that sure. was that was stupid fun. But here it's <laughs> but, genuinely good as well. Yeah, um, it was a lot smarter than it uh, any right to be. This may be a hot take. I want to know if you agree or disagree, if you have any ideas about it. But if this Blumhouse remake does come to light in the future, because I don't know how far along it is other than at the idea stage, but I would suggest not using the 1958 Plymouth Fury. Oh, I, I would, I would find car. a different car, maybe something more timely if maybe you know something else forgotten and if it's going to be i would imagine it'd be like a modern interpretation i'd say find another car that went into obscurity in like the 2000s or the 90s or something and bring that Man, back i think that could gonna, be cool they're gonna pick like a vw bug or something. <laughs> oh god <laughs> i like the train of thought but not necessarily that model no, car but the, no, i think no, it could I would... be fun to find another car to, and obviously maybe call it something else but Whatever you find, it has to still kind of have like its own iconic look, I guess. Definitely. Uh, if you if you were to change it, because this, have I mean, to be perfect. The selling point, the big selling point of the movie is just how nice this car looks to you. Um, right. It's a beautiful, beautiful vehicle. Um, but I actually appreciate that hot take. I mean, that that would make it more than just like a kind of rehash. There's kind of like exactly basic, basic idea, but like change. But even though the whole classic car thing, uh. I mean, like if it were, if they were to keep it and set it today, it would still work because like a lot of people do love collecting classic cars. Still, mm -hmm. like it's not like a a thing that's like kind of gone away. I mean, a lot of people still try to get you know buy them as much as they can because they're some people view them as like collectors. I have something you some people don't even like drive their classic cars. They're just kind of like they're on display mm -hmm. in, the, in their driveways, and they just like having a classic vehicle. So it would still work in today's setting with a classic car but i kind of do like your idea to change it so, so it's not just a total you know regurgitation of what we're yeah, yeah. yeah no yeah i think it could be i'm open to it more so than other remakes or proposed remakes of classic movies but um 
I think that that would be something that would have to not be forgone. It would have to be a different car, I think, to really make it work. Otherwise, you're not going to really improve on John Carpenter's movie, if you ask me. Right. Now, I would like to know what was going on in 1983, because we kind of talk about this with release dates. I mean, we talked mm. about it with Gremlins uh, opening <laughs> in June with a complete Christmas setting. Right. And actually being out of theaters before Christmas of 1984. Yeah. Uh, Christine comes out December 9th, 1983, which is more uh, closer to the holiday season than yeah. spooky, spooky season. Seems like a weird time to release uh, a horror movie. I know we've we, we've seen it done. Like Scream did that. Scream 2 did it. It works. You know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> hell, the Exorcist came out on like Christmas Eve. <laughs> uh, right yeah no, so, so, Robert Eggers yeah. Nosferatu is coming out on Christmas, on Christmas so it's still being done yeah but like it seems like a really weird I wonder what was going on in 83 October I kind of want to look that up just to see like if there were other horror movies that might have been too much competitions maybe it had something uh, to do with wanting to capitalize on you know the book also premiering that year because like you mentioned it went into production before the book had come out so oh, maybe true it just had something to do with the timeline of the movie being greenlit and stuff. But I agree. Like, I guess it kind of helps that the movie takes place over a few months, including the holiday season and the new year. Um, but it doesn't feel in any way like it needed that sort of that, that it fits that time of year for the release date. So I'm also curious why December 9th. Uh, yeah. What I'm seeing, uh, Stephen King's dead, the dead zone came out in October, 1983. Um, that's one. Okay. Uh, and let's see. Yeah, I can't see anything else that is like a significant uh, horror release. And yeah, but maybe you're right. It could have been more about uh, just when it went in production and like when they could release it. Uh, maybe it was the same weekend. When it, when it yeah. Yeah, because it didn't flop by any means. I mean, uh, I I will say this. I, I and you're a John Carpenter fan. Uh, a lot of the reviews mm. I read for the movie, even the positive ones, pointed out that it's competently directed by John Carpenter, but uh, kind of failed to live up to his kind of early promise with like Halloween. And I just, you know, he it seemed like he a lot of his movies, even though he had that really good streak in the '80s, mm. were measured by that first success and that first. Yeah. you know not just financial success but critical success and i was like wondering what you thought about um do you think that's fair to do that to a director mm-hmm. it's like yeah, I mean, we got to just judge you know each of his projects on their own merit i think in a perfect world we should be doing that i don't think it's necessarily unfair to sort of give this uh um to analyze the trajectory based on you know uh creator's first work and that's still done to this day and probably always i think it's just a symptom of analyzing art and cinema as an art form but i completely disagree like i think this like followed and like there was a clear trajectory of john carpenter's filmography and after the, i don't think i obviously this movie comes out after the thing and i still regard the thing as like you know his crowning achievement and its legacy is definitely more impactful than christine but i think that christine is still a hit coming off of the thing i don't think this was like in any way a regression in his career i don't look at it that way anyway i still think that he had a he had a good forward momentum going after this movie and his movies got even better at least throughout the 80s too as he went but that's me clearly not everyone agrees with that but i thought christine was a great movie for him at the time that he made it 
I think it's fault. I mean, I think his follow ups, of course, I think Halloween, like you and I are like reversed on that word. Like the thing is like your, yeah, John, John Carpenter movie, Halloween's mine, right? But I've never really, um, until you get like way deep in this filmography and you, know, you can tell like he's kind of fallen off a little bit, mm. like it's like in the 90s, right? Uh, stuff like that. But like, I never really looked at his post Halloween work and been like, my first thought has ever been like, oh, that's not as good as that. I've been okay. able to like separate, you know, oh, this is still solid work. Uh, also, also, they've all been very different. Yeah. He, I mean, he never really re- tried to recreate Halloween. Like, no. He never went about like, you know, everything he did after that, even if there was horror related, mm. it was all different. So I think that's why it was also hard for me to compare like, you know, the fog to Halloween or like the thing and all that stuff. Right. Like, they were just all very different movies. Agree, so, and like, I guess uh, yeah. At least he didn't try to like you know make another slasher film or something like that, and then you would kind of be. Uh, then I think it'd be a lot harder not to compare. The Which two movies. It, it also the fact that his many of his movies are so different too. It, it kind of begs the question: like, why are we comparing his earlier works to his later career stuff that is just really not the same? How do you? It's like apples to oranges. Like, right to compare Christine to either the thing or the fog or Halloween. It's just seems like a moot point. It's not the same sort of movie. It's him experimenting with something else, completely different story. While there might be similarities, like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like those movies are, there's very few movies in his philosophy that are destined to feel compared to. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, no, I still think, I think Christine was a hit. Well, I, there are definitely certain movies in his filmography that I think are either steps up or steps down. It's, not a clear straight line or yeah. an increase, but I don't think Christine was a step backwards by any means. And it's nice to see that it at least was somewhat more of a financial success than the thing was. Cause that was definitely a bomb, but Christine yeah, at it least hurt, doubled it budget, hurt his budget. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just thing that it hurt his career, but it's, you yeah. know, he still had movies that came out pretty close right. after the thing. Right. But like, you know, he, the thing was supposed to be such a big money maker for universal. They right. thought, and uh yeah it definitely bombed and they and that's that's why they took firestarter away from him so mm. they saw those numbers are like well no you can't do this and now and who you talks know about firestarter <laughs> yeah the only thing that people know about firestarter is that drew barrymore's in it she's on the cover art right and uh it didn't make a lot of money either so <laughs> whoever there you go I, I don't even know who ended up directing firestarter but it's not like it was a groundbreaking horror film by any means. It did get remade with Zac Efron. Oh, uh, was that this year ago. or last year? I think it was last year. I I watched it. Don't really remember much from it. Didn't really love it. He was good in it. Uh, there's that. <laughs> uh, but that's about it. Um, I, oh, I thought it was interesting too. Starting about the car is that they said that some of King's details about the car were incorrect in the book. Like the 1956 to 58 Plymouth Fury was only available as a tour door coupe. While the book described it as a four-door sedan, which would have made it a Savoy or, Bel- or Belvedere model, during Lee's choking scene, Christine is shown to have common vertical lock buttons on the inside door panels. Chrysler vehicles of this era were not equipped with such buttons. To lock the door, the door handle has to be pushed downward. King also mentions a shift lever for the automatic transmission, but in real life, it had push-button controls as well. Yeah, which is odd. <laughs> and I heard, of, I guess, in production, the automatic transmission gave them a lot of issues. Yeah, at the time, yeah, and then uh, Carpenter, uh, we talked about the whole regeneration scene. He did not, he had, had not planned to film the car's rege- regeneration scenes, but gave special effects supervisor Roy Arbogast three weeks to devise a way for the car to re- rebuild itself. 
Arbogast and his team made rubber molds from one of the cars, including a whole front end. One of the cars was stripped of its engine to accommodate eternally mounted hydraulics that pulled the framework inward, crumpling the car with a shot then run backwards in the final film. Right, which, again, Looks you can get the sense that this is <laughs> so that, that's what they're shot doing, in but reverse. Yeah, first, but, but it still looks brilliant. so cool. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, 23 cars were used in the film, initially sold as scrap metal after filming ended. One of the best-known surviving vehicles was eventually rescued from the junkyard and restored. It was subsequently bought by a collector named Bill Gibson of Pensacola, Florida. And then one of the Christines was auctioned off at an auto auction in Florida in January 2020 uh, oh, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, it has a 69% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert liked it. Yeah. You know what? We, at this point, it's become a thing for us to mention him because sometimes he loves horror movies and sometimes he doesn't. Right. But he he did like this Most one. Famously, he, he doesn't. Right. Um, yeah. Usually he doesn't horror, but he gave this one. I think three out of four stars. Three out of four stars. He said, "By the end of the movie, Christine has developed such a formidable personality that we are actually taking sides during its duel with the bulldozer. <laughs> this is the kind of this this is the kind of movie where you walk out with a silly grin, get in your car, and lay rubber halfway down the Eisenhower." Uh, the New York Times uh, gave it a mixed review, saying the early parts of the film are engaging and well acted, creating a believable high school atmosphere. Unfortunately, the later part of the film is slow in developing and it unfolds in predictable ways. Uh, Variety gave it a negative review. Uh, they said Christine seems like a retread. This time it's a fire engine red 1958 Plymouth Fury that's possessed by the devil. And this deja vu premise from the novel by Stephen King combined with the crazed vehicle format makes Christine appear pretty shop worn. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's not that, that we, I don't agree with variety most of the time either. And I guess I, <laughs> yeah. been, I, guess, I wouldn't have been 1983 as well. Um, I haven't graded this on Letterboxd, I forgot, but I'm going to tonight, but um. Mm. What I, did you already did yeah, you score it? Well, I didn't rescore it. Like I scored it in September, and then I just kept my same score of it. But I have it uh, with a four out of five stars uh, on Letterboxd right now, and felt that that was suitable enough. My enjoyment of it is certainly ha has not waned at all. If anything, I appreciate it just as much, if not more, on rewatch. So that is my score for it now, which is the case. I think most of my Carpenter movies are at least that or yeah. higher. Um, but yeah, what would you give it now? Thinking about it, just coming off your watch, um, I would give it a four. I think it's a good score. And oh, uh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was very entertaining. I think it's interesting that that review said it was slow. It does. I guess like for some people, I guess if this came out today, it does have a bit of a slow burn. Kind of, it doesn't really happen quick. Uh, I like. It, I thought it was paced really, but, really well. Yeah, I think I think it. I think it is. I I guess. Uh, I guess it doesn't like for me things didn't happen right away, but I didn't really care about that. Mm. I mean, I, I loved how there was like a gradual progression yeah. to what the car was doing and all that. And we're, um, when we're not getting Christine moments, we're getting like good character development, sure, development, showing Arnie and and Dennis and Arnie and Lee. Like I think the characters are treated well when when the show is not about Christine. Yeah, I agree, and I yeah, I found it completely entertaining. I mm. really uh, having not watched it in so long, I. Uh, didn't know what I was going to think about it actually, and okay, I realized nice. by watching it that uh, I realized by watching it that I there was so much that I didn't uh, remember, like because it's been so long. Nice. So it really did. Yeah. So it really feel like I I was watching it for the first time again. So it was, I and was uh, to, yeah loved it. 
Yeah. To me, that last shot of the movie too, the the closing shot is like the cherry on top of this movie too. It ends on such a great note too, where we get the little, you know, Christine has been trampled on and, oh, and yeah, packed like... into a big tube <laughs> of metal. And then the characters are onward looking and we get this close up of this big hunk of junk and we see the yeah. bar sort of moving on its own Move. and then it ends. I think that's so such a great way I to love... end. I love the fake out too with the the music before. Yeah, that. and it's just the <laughs> yeah, guy just carrying the radio, and they're just like, "Ugh!" Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like a really good uh, fake out. Um, how do I? Before we end it, I wanted to ask you because I feel like a part of me thinks, even though, and if they made it today, and I don't even know how this kind of goes in the book, but Arnie dying at the end. Uh, how do you feel about that? Were you like that that needed to happen or? Are you are you kind of like as a character, like he's not like it's his fault that this is um all happening, I guess. Uh, no, you know, it's, I, it's happening to him. Yeah, I like there's a line that Harry Dean Stanton has, uh, where he says he's talking to Arnie and Lee in the junkyard at the end, and he says, Some things can't be helped, some people too. And I think that is a great, if not tragic, way of looking at Arnie's story and his demise. Like whether or not he had ever encountered Christine, we will never know. He he did. He was transfixed by the car, and then that set him on this on this sort of trajectory that where he would end up being consumed by it. And ultimately, I don't think that after so long of him putting all this time and effort in bonding with the car, they wouldn't have been able to exist without each other. And they both needed to go, or Arnie. Like I don't. I can't imagine like a. A scenario where Christine is defeated and Arnie is still left there without it. You know what I mean? I feel they are one and the same and he had to go if Christine was going to go. And I don't think it would have worked at all if I don't really see how you get Arnie on the side of demolishing Christine. So he unfortunately had to be one of the characters that goes. I think it's kind of brave too to have your lead, if not lead. co-lead, die too, which I can appreciate that. that yeah, because there's, there's no real moment where um you have arnie kind of being like what's happening to me or like you know no, like kind of having like, this, like into it. Kind of, yeah like you know this like conflict of like noticing the change or like really mm -hmm. aggressing really addressing it in a way that like and then realizing what christine is right uh you know kind of having this kind of inner conflict which is i think some stories would do that mm -hmm. um kind of this kind of like push and pull uh right. thing a little bit um but yeah i don't think you could do it without him dying at the end and I, I think it and i think it's also interesting too because it might say a lot that like yes the car did change him but like some of that stuff might have been already inherently inside him already and it just exactly and, and that just pulled it out of him yeah so, you know uh, i like that interpretation too like you know he already had a little bit of that kind of mm. evil in him and the car just kind of brought it out of him but uh it is kind of but it is kind of like i found myself being kind of like not sad and like I wasn't like teary eyed or anything, but it was like oh like because seeing what he was before and like how he got kind of like trampled on and picked on and like you know he not the most confident guy and all this other stuff right um you know it, that when you the ending is kind of sad because you're like oh well there was that guy at the beginning that was a completely different dude from what you know what we end yeah. up with and it does suck that you know that person has to go um but I think that was you know probably the only way that it could. Mm -hmm. I think the ending is very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, it works. Mm -hmm. It works indeed. Uh, well, man, I can't think of anything else I want to 
say about it other than um, if you have gone as long as I did without watching it, uh, watch it again because I think you'll find yourself like being presently surprised by it like I was again today because I totally forgot so much of it. And I yeah. think I will make it up kind of yearly part of like my spooky season viewing now. I think it's I think it's there. I'm I might take some time off for having seen it twice in a Oh, you watched it a lot. I, <laughs> yeah, I am also yeah. very much looking forward to the time where I see it again. I might put some years between it, but I would absolutely recommend it to any Carpenter fans out there that maybe haven't scratched this one off the list. I absolutely recommend as a super fan of John Carpenter, this comes with my recommendation and it's just a great 80s movie if nothing else too yeah yeah i agree and i know we constantly tease uh this whole like we've talked a lot offline about doing this kind of like director showcase on the show at some point yeah he's a he'll, he'll be another good one to do i think I, yeah because uh, even though we've talked about like uh you know we've covered halloween and we covered this uh we've we've personally have never covered uh the thing or right. uh prince of darkness or any of those movies so he'd be another one that kind of especially because he has such a nice little pocket of movies in the 80s that we could uh, yeah i think it could into. be fun actually next spooky season to just cover his apocalypse trilogy too with uh, the thing prince of darkness and um uh in the mouth of madness would be a, a lot of fun and that's that's three movies in one director too it's kind of like a mini showcase that would be yeah, a lot of fun sure Yep. Yeah, and and I don't own Christine on 4K Blu-ray, but I hear it looks great, and I think I'm gonna buy it after watching uh, <laughs> it today. Yeah, I saw uh, that it had that feel, release. That would be awesome. Uh, yeah, it feels like a, it feels like it would be a good collection on 4K to you know have there. So definitely, I got the measly little DVD here, but it still looks fantastic too. All these years later, I have I I'm not really sure how the technology works. I have a 4K Blu-ray player, but I, I don't think that does anything if you're just putting the DVD in. Oh, if it like upscales it, yeah. To try to up, to up it. I think some of them upscale it as, as much as they can, but I mean, it's not gonna be the same effect, I guess. But, right, but yeah, gorgeous film. Yeah, definitely need the 4K for sure. All right, um, before you sign us off, um, I'm mm -hmm. uh, just gonna, like we said, we're packing a lot into a a, a few days to close out um, mm -hmm. uh, the holiday season, and before playlist goes on break. Um, so we're recording this today, Sunday, December 10th. Uh, so we have like a Gremlins episode that will come out uh, earlier. You'll hear it on Monday. You'll hear this one on Thursday or Friday. Still working that out. And then uh, we're just going to be scheduling out our next few episodes between now and uh, basically the first of the year. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any gap in episodes uh, at all. Uh, but we'll have like a tiny break ourselves, even though we'll be discussing, uh, you know, the show in detail about what we're going to do. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. It's like a little break, not, but we'll still be talking about what we're going to be doing uh, with 2024. And we have a lot of ideas. I know we want to throw you at each other uh, to, you know, kind of make the show better. And I think when we, uh, when we give you our black Christmas episode, cause I, that'll probably be the last one you hear. Um, of the holiday, you know, during the break, we'll kind of uh, tease what we're gonna do uh, in 2024. And one of those, one of those being, uh, it'll be uh, Jackson's one year uh, in January. That's right. Uh, so uh, that will be one of the bigger ones that we do uh, after the break as well. He already uh, has an idea for what he wants to do for that, so that that'll be fun. Very much if looking forward wants, to that. It's it's all it's all uh, his. <laughs> 
It's all uh, his show. I'm not uh, whatever he wants to do. I will do it. And, awesome. Uh, I I don't I don't feel right contributing to it. I'm like, oh, you. Oh you my goodness. Like, well, <laughs> whatever you had as an idea as a supplement that episode, I am super game for. But there is something in particular that I do want to cover, which feels like it would be appropriate. I think it's also awesome that that anniversary happens to fall at the beginning of the year. So we will start off strong and very excited to deliver to you guys what we have in store for 2024. And of course we got to look back and see, talk about our favorite movies of 2023 and what we're expecting out of the next year. There will be a lot to cover in January, but still some great content coming to you guys for December as well. And we still got some Christmas movies to cover, which I'm excited for oddly enough, not feeling very grinchy <laughs> or scroogey this year. So yeah, there's still lots, lots coming. Although I guess Black Christmas sort of kind of puts me in that camp. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we got yeah, we got. Well, Black Christmas will conclude the Benjamin's, which is so funny because like you're going to be getting Merry Benjamin's episodes for the month of December, but we were able to crank out this limited series in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, two two weeks worth of shows. Uh, Christine is our second to last anniversary episode. Our last one for the year will be uh, the faculty. So you'll be hearing that during the break as well. Uh, and JC from Mark with the Movies will be on that episode as well as Mark J. Parker. That will be Mark J. Parker's fifth appearance on the show this year. That's got to be first uh, place, right? I think it is. I think it is. Uh, Mark has been on a few times, but I don't yes. think in, in the same calendar year that it's been that much. Okay. Um, but Mark has been on this will be five times and that's just a testament of how good he is at talking about movies from this era so that'll be fun yeah. and Merck's excited to be on it with him because he's never been on one with mark and he oh, loves nice. listening to, he loves listening to him on ours and he's guested on other shows that uh merc listens to so he's super excited to actually do one with him so and yeah. i still know nothing about the faculty so i'm pretty much having a blind watch tomorrow are you going in blind yeah oh. Other than like oh. some of the cast members, that's really. Do you suggest I look up some stuff, or do you think I should go in? No, no, no. I'm no. I guess like I think you already know kind of bare bones. Like it, Kevin Williamson wrote it. Like, the same guy who wrote Scream. Right. I, oh, like, I forgot that until you mentioned it. Uh, but now I remember. So, yeah. So you know, it's 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 basically supposed to do for like the alien kind of invasion movie that Scream did for slasher movies, like okay. self-referential and like you know, kind of like the characters kind of know about these kind of things like it's very much okay. like scream and like okay but uh but yeah that's i cool. thought you knew a little bit more about it but no, yeah, nothing. it should be i heard it about it a million times but oh uh, that's gonna be interesting when that camera comes on and we ask you, <laughs> you know, i'm gonna go we're gonna go to you first but all right what okay, you think awesome <laughs> cannot wait for that i love you being put on give, the spot <laughs> you're gonna give that that kind of awkward shuffle like uh, or you might just be like i, I don't get the sense that i'm not gonna like i am anticipating enjoying it so but which will bode well going into that watch because it's nice to go in with positive aspirations but time yeah. will tell i'm looking forward to chatting about it tomorrow though me too with it with these last couple anniversary episodes i had to make up for i still know you did last summer so yeah hopefully, hopefully <laughs> you don't gotta make up for anything it's it's it brings a good dynamic um and i'm it glad does. and that episode did well yeah. i mean it's so funny like, even the bad movies do well because i guess it's just probably fun to hear us rip them apart because I don't think definitely because we like while some of us were nice to that movie, we were also very self-aware that it's not good. So it was fun. But yeah, I, I did feel the need. Like I was like, have to make because I know you didn't really want to do it, but you did it. You, you did it for the greater good. Right. So, exactly. Gotta make, up, gotta, make up, gotta make up for it with like better. They movies can't all be Christine's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're not going to like yeah. everything. So but True. they can all so. be talked about like Christine, though. But exactly. 
And right. with that, I think that's everything for yep. episode 136 of Back to the Blockbuster. Thank you guys for joining us on this December while we chatted about another John Carpenter movie. Christine, it's been a pleasure. And uh, stay tuned, guys, for the rest that we have planned for you for the month of December and with the Mary Benjamin's miniseries that we got going on. Stay tuned to episodes like The Faculty and Home Alone and Black Christmas that are coming at you this month. And uh, as always, find us on Playlist and on their new app, which is available in the iOS store and on Google for you Android users. Thanks a lot, guys, for tuning in for another episode of Back to the Blockbuster, and we will see you next week and throughout the rest of the holiday season. Take care, guys. Peace. Take care.